Attention patriots. Tired of the tyranny and crime in the sanctuary cities? Flee the city and seek refuge in the American Redoubt. FleeTheCity.com. Move to the freedom of Idaho, Montana, or Wyoming. FleeTheCity.com. FleeTheCity.com. Katie Armor raised the standard. Finally, AR500 steel core body armor that comfortably conforms to the chest and torso. Unique design distributes weight, feeling lighter, increases mobility, and lessens fatigue. Introducing the Combat Quad Bend CQB, a revolutionary plate-forming process that caters to the end user. The CQB is an industry game changer, a must-have for the ladies. Available now only at katiearmor.com, C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Come and take it. You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. Never duplicated. This is the one and only Fash the Nation, your guiding light in a sea of degeneracy. Hello and welcome to episode 540 of FTN. This is Jazz Hands McFeels, and this is the show that is the sworn enemy of unshut lying mouths, Jewish hypocrisy, grugness, and Finkelfink, with talent on loan from Dr. Joseph Goebbels, bringing you excellence in anti-Semitism right in the middle of Shabbat each and every week. And I'm here with very special guest, A.O. Kamathi. He is the author of the book, Jews Are the Problem. Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> as I like to say, there is no Jewish question. We already know the answer to the question. Jews are a problem. It's the Jewish problem. It's the JP, not the JQ. And you've done a lot of really excellent work um it was brought to my attention i saw these videos of you uh in front of these i think city councils and and legislatures where they're opening it up for public commentary on uh <laughs> on these various uh pro-jew hate bills they're going through uh maryland legislature also some stuff in florida and uh i think you make them feel very sorry that they've opened things up for public commentary uh ao you've done a very good job um speaking truth to power to these people and they don't like it um, but welcome to the show. We really enjoy having you. We're going to go through a lot of stuff, but uh, really good to have you here, sir. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. It's Ayo, Ayo Kimafi, and I'm glad to be here. I apologize. I'm saying it like Ayo, and it should be Ayo Kamafi. All right. Well, welcome, welcome to the show, um, and uh, really good to have you. And so let's talk about we always you know this stuff always gets left to the end and i want people to be able to find uh find out more about you so i'm actually going to put this stuff up here now go to slide three yeah so jews are the problem um is this still valid i pulled this from a, a, a from a show this is the correct way to contact you um uh, yeah, yeah uh if let's see jews are the problem.com i'm sure you can go there that's our uh, we, uh our website if you want to order the book you can also go to 
let me see. Um, it's this one. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's the old cover. Yeah. Um, we got, you know, we got a second edition that we just put out. Oh, nice. This is the different places. Uh, you can go to, if you go to BitChute, you can see some of our videos and it will be, our page is called, There Will Be No One World Government. Nice. Nice. And we just, we just started it, so it's not a lot of uh, site, but we just, you know, we said we got to get, they, they banned me from the internet in like 2020. Oh, we can talk more about that later. Why? But uh, uh, also on Gab is Jews are the problem. And on Twitter, it's Jews are the problem. And on Brighteon, it's, uh, what's, what's the name of the thing on Brighteon? It's uh, you can't handle the truth. Nice. Yeah, I'll put all these links in the in the description on Odyssey, YouTube, uh, and the website, the red stuff up is this is, uh, this is your website here. The Jews are the problem. People can yeah. scroll down, watch your videos. You got Jews are the problem, uh, on Gab. I have this pulled up. Um, so you got a bunch of stuff up on Gab. Some of these videos we're going to play later. And then you have a uh, straight black, uh, straight black pride on, uh, YouTube, yeah, I'm yes. sure this this YouTube you expect this to go away at any moment, like I do, right? I mean, this is <laughs> that's the last one that we have. Uh, they they they've shut down probably ten or fifteen of our YouTube accounts. So that's the last one we got up there. Yeah, it's uh it's tough. Um, we keep we keep it there for live streaming. For some reason, though, they haven't really taken anything down. Uh, they took down one of my videos. Um, I'm not really sure why, but but in any case, uh, I'll put I'll put this back up here. Um. And because I really like the uh, irritated genie, was that your pseudonym before you uh, came out as Io Kamathi? I was always Io Kamathi, but that's still my pseudonym. Uh, in the black community, they know me as the irritated genie, irritated genie of Southeast. So if I go into a place where black people recognize me, they they gonna come up, brother genie, you know, irritated genie. Once okay. I came out to a white audience, I just came out with my name, Io Kamathi. Gotcha. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, your southeast, you mean the quadrant of DC that includes the Navy Yard and the Anacostia River, and and uh, they call the the Fifth Ward. Is it the Fifth Ward? I forget what they call that. You you white guy, how you know about southeast, man? You're not supposed to know about southeast. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know all the stops on the Green Line very well. I've been uh, I, I was in DC for a while, worked in worked in the city, and haven't been there in a long time, but I know DC pretty well. Um, okay. I even know the, I even know the good chicken spots down in southeast. Believe it or not, but. Okay. I know you don't believe that, but that's uh, there are some good yeah, chances. It sounds like you know when you said the Green Line, I already know you must know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. A little bit here and there, uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's good to have you on the show. Um, well, why don't we we'll start? So we got, I think, anything else where people can find you? We'll put in the links. Um, if you forget anything, I mean, at any time, just just let us know. And um, but let's talk about let's talk about your um tales of the red pill as we call it on this show where you talk about how you became jaywoke and in in your specific uh situation you know like a lot of people that come on the show uh are just politically agnostic either they were political they were apolitical they didn't give a shit about politics because they were like nothing ever changes so why do i care about this or they really gave a shit about politics and really believed that the Republican Party or the Democratic Party was going to do something for them, and then they discover that that's all a lie. Um, or they they don't like one group, but they realize that oh, this other group is actually the problem. It's the it's the one group that you're not actually allowed to talk about. Um, you might lose your job for saying a racial epithet, but 
if you start talking about Jewish power and Jewish domination, your things are really going to start to see some sparks. And so I think based on the title of your book, you've, you've found your answer, but what was the journey like to get there? Io, what would you go through, you know, growing up and when did you first become aware of Jews as a, as a group that might be a problem? Okay. So I, I come from a black nationalist slash pan-African, African Senate background. So that traditionally, if you think kind of sort of probably the best people I can bring that people might be aware of might be like a Malcolm X or Black Panther type of ideology, ideological background. But for people who are familiar with Dr. Khalil Abdul Muhammad, that would be more the vein that I come out of. Well, when I got to I was in an organization and it was it was mostly we focused on racism and how we were going to, you know, do things in our community to help our community to raise the consciousness level, but also to deal with fighting resistant racism. But uh, interestingly enough, socially as an actual issue, we were focused on pedophilia and homosexuality. We said there's too many men that's turning into women or turning into feminine, and there's too many children being sexually abused and nobody's doing nothing about it. And we were a group of men and we said, we're going to do something about this. So I was with an organization, Positive Comedic Visions, and that was the basis of the organization. That was one of the bases, one of the bases of the organization when I joined it was that we totally against pedophilia and homosexuality. So the leader of the organization, you know, we were it was all white and black for us. I'm just make it simple. White and black. We've done a lot of study of our history, our culture and even the spreading of homosexuality and pedophilia. Once we began to do lectures, we actually began to do the research. We saw that. Again, white and black, that's coming from slave trade. We never in the beginning had any relationship or orientation to Jew. It was black, white. Then the leader of our organization read a book called A Jewish Onslaught by Tony Martin, Dr. Tony Martin, peace be upon him. And he told all of us, yo, everybody here is going to read this book. And this wasn't the type of brother you would, you question me, say it once, it's done. So we picked the book up, all of us bought it, and we read it. And that's when the world began to change for me, because that's the first time that I realized, OK, we have legitimate issues with the white race. I still have those same issues. They haven't gone anywhere. There's a however. There's a guy at the pinnacle of the issues that confront black people and white people. And because he's white to us, we've never really seen him. And he's different. And if you don't learn about him and understand how he operates and works, you'll be like a ping pong in between a ping pong ball in between two ping pong paddles getting beat over and across the table and back and forth over the table. And that was the beginning of the process for me saying, wait a minute, really learning what they did to Professor Tony Martin because of the book, The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, which then when they attacked him, made more of us go out and read secret relationship between blacks and Jews. And then I began to really get on a journey because I'm a very visual person and doing lectures, I began to do it with visuals. I was one of the early people to be doing lectures with PowerPoint. Nice. 2003 was when I came out with the one that really changed, is the one that gave me my name. It was called The Feminization of the Black Male. And in it, you know, we did a lot of visuals. That was in two thousand. That was in two thousand three. Wow. 
Wow. Well, that's when we did the video. But 1997 is when I did the actual, I did, the first time I did the feminization of the black male on audio as a cassette tape was 1997. Wow. Yeah. So you, your roots in this go back uh, to what we would refer to in, in the white nationalist Nazi movement of as version 1.0, when people would send videotapes to each other about getting woke on Jews or the Holocaust or whatever, because there was no social media. There was, I mean, he had email, but it was really kind of archaic and really not that efficient. And that's in like flyers and newsletters and books. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Matter of fact, let me, let me be you, you making things come back to me. You got a point. I tell you what happened. First, we read, if I, I think it was, yeah. First, we read the Jewish onslaught, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Then my Baba, he sent a videotape of Ted Pike. It was called The Other Israel. And this was probably, man, it had to be 97 or somewhere in our abouts then. And when I saw The Other Israel by Ted Pike, this is the Christian right. They were talking about the Babylonian Talmud. This was in the 90s. And when I saw that, it all changed. Because see, mm-hmm. see, I was fighting pedophilia and homosexuality. And when I did the lecture of feminization of the black male, Baba saw that. And he said, you want this, brother. And he sent the other Israel, which now connected. Yeah, I know it came from the slave trade, but wait a minute. I had no idea that it came out of a religious book that Jews read. And that's <laughs> where it really just exploded. <laughs> yes. Your mind is blown when you when you realize this stuff, because it's just it's 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 so it's so shocking. But at the same time, as we always say, it's shocking because you were lied to for so long. Like we were all collectively lied to. We were told different lies, different stories um, to get us to believe a certain aspect of our history. And blacks were told something totally different than whites. But it, the lies that were told to us were all told by the same people for an, a purpose of, of, of undermining and obfuscating the truth. And the truth is, once we realize it, that yeah, we like something you said earlier, and I'll say this now too, is like we, we still have our differences, but we can put all that on the side because the thing that we have to deal with right now is literally killing us both, like both groups. Um, and it's been killing us for a long time. They've been doing it uh, very, very effectively. Um, I won't go off on a tangent, but the opioid crisis, a lot of our people in our movement think that that's just a thing that affects white people. But actually the death rate has has switched almost in the last couple of years where it's 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 affecting uh inner city blacks it's affecting hispanics um still a lot of whites but when it was pills it was killing a lot of white people when it became injections and the all this stuff got laced in with a lot of other drugs then it started to affect uh blacks as well i mean it's just people don't realize that they hear opioid crisis and they think some some hick living in a trailer and a holler in Kentucky, but that's that's what it was maybe in the early two thousands. Not anymore though. Well, here's the interesting thing about it, and it. I mean, again, I'm always learning, but I'm at the point now when I look at the drug crisis of any group of people anywhere. It's like it's an incredible process when you go and actually research it because each time, good example. From a black perspective, we look at white aggression. Whites coming into Africa, whites going to the opium war, so forth and what have you. Mm -hmm. In a million and a half years, no one would have ever told me that it was any different than England, 
wanting to rule the world, going to China, try to destroy the Chinese with opium. Little did I know about the Sassoon family. The opium <laughs> yeah. wars, yeah, the opium wars that were started in China were started because Jews were selling opium dope to the Chinese. The Chinese said, mm -hmm. hey, it's going to too bad. You can only restrict it to this area. And those Jews said, no, you're not going to tell us where we're going to sell it. We're going to sell it wherever we want to sell it. And mm -hmm. the Jews went and talked and, and partnered with the English to go and push the opium wars on China for the decimation of the Chinese. So where originally I would have looked at it as just white. I'm like, no, it was Jews. So the same thing happens here with the crack cocaine crisis. When you look into it, deep into it, you'll find the Jewish hands or at least the Jewish hands that uh, benefited financially. Same thing when you look at this crisis, you just talked about opioids. When they looked mm -hmm. at the lawsuit, who did it come down to? The Sackler family. Who are the Sacklers? Jews. So it's like they're doping up America. So they doped us up with crack. Once they got us, now it's your turn. And they did it with opioids. And what happens is each community looks at the other community and talks down to them because look at these people. They're doing this crack cocaine, not looking at it as a government-sponsored, really Jewish-orchestrated destruction of particular groups so we don't have any empathy for each other because when it was crack it would just lock them up throw away the key re-enslave them when it's opioids mm -hmm. quite honest with you i didn't even know of opioids until probably 2008 17 i i, I didn't even know this was an issue in america why because until like you said more recently it wasn't something that my community faced i didn't even know it was happening I didn't know 500,000 white families were collapsed and destroyed by Jews to the opioid crisis. I didn't know that. So this is what they do to me, too, is they, they like they attack different people from different angles and then get the other group to look down on that group based on the, the issues that we already have. Yes, it's a divide and conquer strategy. Yeah. And what's interesting with the, the opioid crisis is like, well, what was the vector for getting people who would normally not take drugs or not encounter kind of like drug use culture, which is not, not black, but just like if you're, cause white people get caught up in drugs all the time. But if you're a white person who's like, well, I would never shoot heroin. I would never smoke pot. I'm too straight laced for all this, but you go into a doctor cause you have some kind of a problem. And that doctor has been financially incentivized by Purdue pharma to sell more Oxycontins. And then everything that they pre prescribe is Oxycontins and you get all these white people hooked on Oxys. Well, then this is how you create this crisis of like killing people with drugs um, without actually getting them into the drug culture to do it. You don't have to teach people that oh, we uh, doing Oxys is cool. They just say it's medically necessary to treat your pain and everybody has pain. We did a whole deep dive on this on our show about how they, they change the mentality within the medical community to start teaching people that pain is a pandemic and we have a cure, a panacea that's not addictive in Oxycontins because it's got time release coding, goy. Look, you can sell it to you and you will pay your doctor's offices lots of money to pass this shit off to everybody. Sorry, I meant, I was going to not swear. We're making a, an effort not to swear today. I will be very careful. We used to do this actually on our show, no swearing, um, but I will, I will keep that all in line. But they, this is the way that they got, got in uh, and they've managed to kill lots of people. Now with fentanyl, which is now the, the successor to Oxycontins, the opioid, the synthetic opioid that they're now lacing into every drug. And a lot of people are dying. It's not just affecting whites specifically, although it still is. 
but it's now affecting anybody, anybody that comes into interaction. It's more more black people now than it is white. Yeah, because it's gone into cocaine and it's gone into kind of beyond the people that are just taking pills. What's interesting about the fentanyl is for a long time, I thought, well, this is the Chinese doing this. But when you hear the Republicans saying that it's the Chinese doing it, it's like, okay, in my brain, it's like it's not the Chinese doing it. Now, the raw materials for this might come from China. But when you look up at some of the shootings and some of the gang warfare that has taken place along the border with what you would believe are Mexican cartels, it's actually a lot of Israeli organized crime. And there was a shooting, the, the red pill for me on this, uh, was the shooting that took place at a, at a high kind of luxury mall in Mexico um, in broad daylight. And the people that were doing the shooting were all Israeli citizens. And it was all involved with the cartels. And in, in Mexico is where they take the raw materials off of container ships from China uh, from, to make fentanyl. And the Chinese are just selling chemicals to people. They don't really know who, what it's for and whatever. And even if they do, it's like, who is creating the massive production facility in Mexico to create fentanyl and then sneak it into the United States? It's Israeli organized crime, just like it was Israelis running organized crime in America when they took it away from the Italians. So this is all, all of this stuff is centered back and they've built out this massive thing because it's like, why didn't Donald Trump declare war on the cartels? We declare war on Iran. We declare war on Bashar al-Assad. Why don't you declare war on the cartels? They're right there at the border. It's like I I had something that was very interesting. I have a friend who, you know, he was, you know, in a gang at one time in his life and he knows the gang members. So he was talking to a brother in the gang. Just blew me away. I said, wow, you got to be kidding me. He said at one time, I don't know how long it's been. But the big time leader in the Mexican mafia, I couldn't believe this. In the in the prison system, that's crazy. Was a, was a Eastern Jew. I said, "What? He's not even a Jew from like America. He was a Jew from an Eastern Bloc country." I was like, "Are you serious?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "That's why." Now again, this is his interpretation, and this is not something I study. I just talk to people that know the culture. He said, and the interesting thing is a lot of that hatred that you see. Mexicans and black people, a lot of that is being sponsored by Jews because this is one thing that we fail to remember. We say things like, uh, you know, a lot of times, oh, well, he, he, he's a he's Italian. He's not Jewish. We don't understand. You can be a Jew in France. You can be a Jew in Italy. You can be a Jew in Mexico. A Jew is a Jew no matter where they are. That's right. Jews are involved in organized crime like you would just you just breaking it down anywhere they are in the world. Mm-hmm. So when we looked at the opium wars, I thought it was the English. Yeah, it was the English that came in and jumped in with the Jews. And the Roth and the Rothschild banks. I mean, it's the, this yeah. is who's really pushing this stuff. So, yeah. it's Right. Um, I mean, the, the, when, when you talked about the, the, the gangs, what really blew me away. I mean, you're talking about the uh, organized crime. Yes, it was some Italians at one time, but this is what blew me away. And we look at Meyer Lansky. We know he's Jewish. But what I didn't know, we knew Dutch Schultz was Jewish. I didn't know this one. I didn't them. think. Yeah, Bugsy Siegel, all of them are Jews. But this is oh, the great. one that got me. Lucky Luciano. Oh, yeah. Again, <laughs> this is what got me. I'm thinking, look, I watched a movie called Hoodlum. It's my favorite movie of all time, of course. You know, it's a race movie and the black people won, so of course I love it. And I'm thinking Dutch Schultz is the evil Jew and Lucky Luciano is the Italian and 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 end up uh, uh, 
Bumby Johnson ended up working with Lucky Luciano, Luciano the Italian, to get rid of the gym. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the History Channel one day, just randomly watching it, and they're doing information on gangs. And they started talking about Lucky Luciano. And they talked about, yeah, and he's Jewish. Literally, I, I went and tried to rewind. That's, no, wait, 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 wait. He's the Italian. He's not Jewish. And they talked about how he went back to Italy during, I think it was World War One, and they, they started breaking all of the stuff he was doing down. I'm like, how is he a Jew? And I never knew that. He he went to, on episode 500 of this show, we actually were talking about this, where he, to get out of his prison sentence for organized crime in America, he got to go to, he took the the OSS, the predecessor to the, to the CIA, um, and a bunch of U.S. military to Sicily, in World War II, and because he was so so familiar with with Sicily and how the the you know the how the the topography was arranged and where the entry points to land American troops would be, because they wanted to fuck with Mussolini, they needed a backdoor into Italy to bring down Mussolini and Luciano and all these guys helped the American military to dime out um, fellow Ital- quote unquote fellow Italians. Um, and, and basically it was this invasion of Sicily that allowed the tide of the war, one of the main tides of the war to turn against Hitler, um, because of lucky Luciano and all these mafia guys going in there and basically going into these villages that were all pro Mussolini and they were pro fascist and they didn't want to have anything to do with like, you know, uh, Jewish America and basically used the iron fist of the mafia to come in and upend all of that. And they killed a lot of men, women, and children in order to allow this invasion to happen, like insane human rights atrocities. And they never, no one ever talks about it. But if you go to Sicily, they have monuments to all the people, men, women, and children who were killed by U.S. military in order to pull this operation off. America's supposed to be this guiding light of human rights around the world, but no, it's a joke. Go ahead. When you you did this particular discussion, did you know at the time that Luciano was a Jew? I did not. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest with you. Look, and again, th- this is how contentious it is. I saw it on the History Channel. So something tells me they're not going to lie about this. And everything you just said is where I learned Well, I was just saying he went to, to Italy. You just knew a better uh, understanding of it. But I watched him say he was a Jew. Now, here's the thing. Everybody I know has disputed it. And I've looked it up. I can't find that anywhere. But I watched it on the History Channel, which like literally I've had I've heard other people say it as well. But these are the kinds of things that uh, I've learned about Jews. Sometimes they want to be bold, like in New York. But when they're in cities like or states like Minnesota, a lot of people don't know there are a lot of Jews in Jewish control in Minnesota. Yep. They have a different style there. They don't want you to know they're Jewish. They don't put their Jewishness on the forefront. So they have different types of Jews. They have different angles of how they operate. There's a suburb of Minneapolis called St. Louis Park, and it's the nickname for it is St. Jewish Park because it's basically a fucking sh- – oh, sorry. God, man, I'm so bad with the language. It's basically a shtetl, and it's like Diamond District and all these uh, Hasidic Jews. But then they have the Jews that you're talking about that are kind of in Cripsis. And Lucky Luciano, um, I don't, I can't – like source the information that he's Jewish here, but I wouldn't be surprised because I know this pisses a lot of makes a lot of people in, in our movement really mad. Um, but but there's a lot of evidence circumstantial to suggest that Christopher Columbus was a Jew. Um, he was a Jew. And, yeah, the Columbus way that he wrote 
the way that he wrote in his diary was a, a form of uh, whatever they call that, the the Spanish sort of mongrelization of Hebrew. Um, and there's just a lot of stuff to point to it. Uh, but you Christopher know. Columbus was a Jew. Christopher Columbus, before the Atlantic slave trade, before he came to the Americas, he went up and down the west coast of Africa in preparation for what became the slave trade, helping to build some of the dungeons that ultimately became slave forts and castles. So wow. he was a Jew. He was part. Yeah. He, uh, he was working with the Portuguese and with the uh, the Moors who helped to navigate him over here. When, there mm -hmm. was a time in history where literally the word Portuguese was synonymous with the word Jew. Like sometimes people would not be talking about the fact that you were actually from Portugal, but oh, who is that Portuguese? They meant Jew. Yes. Oh, it's true. Well, and the, one of the biggest pieces of evidence to suggest that he likely was Jewish is that um, not just the way that he wrote in his diary, just the, the, the syntax of his writing is very much in line with like the Hebrew version of Spanish that, that was out there. And I can't remember the name. I'll look it up. But um, is the fact that we were always told that he had to keep going to uh, Prince uh, King Philip and uh, Queen Isabella to get funding for this journey. And he kept it was his persistence. You know, he kept being persistent and going back. And they it was the woman who eventually relented and gave poor little Christopher Columbus the money to go do his little voyage. And it's like, no, actually, if you look at the historical record, it was it was Jews who funded the journeys. He borrowed money from Jews. It was Jews who funded the journeys. If people don't believe me, I'll put it in the show comments. I just don't have it in my prep right now. But he funded he funded his trips with money from Jews. He canceled the date that he was going to leave on his first voyage to America because it was a Jewish holiday. A lot of his crew was Jewish. They wanted to let these guys celebrate. Um, the fact that Christopher Columbus was going to explore a new world and the people that followed Columbus, a lot of the quote unquote conquistadores were Jewish. Ponce de Leon, a lot of the people looking for various things in America. Um, a lot of the towns in early Florida were named after Jews and, Jew and Florida was actually discovered as a place for Jews to go live. It was like a new world. Um, well, so, there's, yeah, this, go ahead. This, this is part of the. What helps make the argument you make is a very, very good one. The reality of it is, is that for 700 years or so, the Moors controlled the southern region of Europe. Yes. And in order to put the Moors out, the Spanish and the English came together. They defeated the Moors, 1492 Spanish Inquisition, and expelled the Moors. That's not the only people they expelled. Mm-hmm. They expelled the Jews. So if you want to know why he went out in 1492 looking to find a new world, because the Jews were being dealt with, because, of course, as is normal, that is Europe. You have African people coming into southern Europe and controlling that region of Europe. How do you think the white folks felt about the people that were helping the black people who had colonized that region there? Literally, literally holding open the gates of the city of Toledo to let the, the Moors in. This is the Jews. This is what they did. Um, and the Inquisition, it's an important point because it goes back to what you're saying with the Crypsis aspect, like people that are Jewish that you don't even know who they are and why I have a reason to suspect that it's possible that Luciano could be in a lot. Of, I don't want to I don't want to paint with a broad brush and say, bro, every Italian that you ever meet 
is probably a Jew. I don't want to, I know I'm doing an impression of Mike there. That's not something Mike would say, but it's just kind of funny. Like some people, like you tell them that Columbus is Jewish and then everybody thinks, oh, every, they're all Jewish. It's like, no, but with a big, but Columbus is from Genoa and he would, he, nobody knows what his actual family origins are. And he never talked about them. It's like, well, big think. Um, but it's also the fact that when the Inquisition started, which started in the early, I think, 1400s, they were really getting annoyed with, with Jews, basically converting to Catholicism and then undermining and subverting the government and subverting the church. Um, it's really the origin of the Inquisition for people in the audience who don't know. But when they started doing that, Jews who just like couldn't take it anymore left and went to Italy. Um, and this this type of Jew that was in Spain and the type of Jew that was kind of uh, in charge of things in world affairs at the time were the Sephardics. Um, and the Sephardics were actually far more powerful than the Ashkenazi, but there was a, the, the loss of Spain and the shift of the power center to Poland um, in the, in the 1600s and into America in the 1600s is what you sort of have as the makeup of world Jewry today, where Sephardic are kind of dispersed and not as powerful. Um, they're more Semitic and Arab looking than the Eastern kind of more alien looking, kind of disturbing uh, Eastern uh, Ashkenazi Jew. It's like what when you have look at the people out there today, like all the people in media, in Hollywood uh, that are in charge of, of, of finance and whatever, um, like Larry Fink, that's an Ash. They're almost exclusively Ashkenazi. You still see some of them, you know, the Sebertum kind of appearing here and there. But like if Columbus was a Jew, he was a Sephardic Jew. If luckily Chiana was a Jew, he was a Sephardic Jew because it's that's who was in charge. Those people are darker complected. They're more Latin looking. And that's why they blended in so well. In he, he, he was a Jew. But I tell you what, he was a Jew. Columbus was a Jew. But I tell you what's very interesting, because you're talking about part of you're talking about the conversos who would go and still be Jewish, but pretend to be Catholic. Mm -hmm. Well, guess who in modern politics came out? This is not me guessing. This is what she said. Guess who said that she is a converso? Who? AOC. I believe that. Mainly because she, she has mainly because she has gigantic Khazar milkers. Um, I'm just kidding. But also because she just she comes from these circles that she just like rises to the top. And it would make sense that she would be the figurehead of a fake opposition movement within the Democratic Party, the Justice Democrats, where it looks like it's coming in. It's almost like she and the guy that she was working with were like there to prevent an actual anti-Semitic uprising within the Democratic Party. So they create social demo or justice Democrats to kind of head that off, just like they do with conservatives. They create these movements within conservatism. And, she, yeah. and what's important about this, I want to be clear. This is not me saying this. She came out and said, oh, I learned something about my ancestors. They They were in the Inquisition. You know, they had to because they were being persecuted. They had to pretend to be. Catholic, but they still remain Jews. And I'm like, that's a conversal. I said, I know she's not out here. Say she, she said that. I mean, I, I have the information, the articles and everything. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it, it, I see, I put these people into categories of probably Jewish until proven otherwise, because we're, we tend to kind of be very careful, like to only say 
uh, somebody's Jewish unless there's like smoking gun evidence. And we do it because people will run away with this idea that I was, this is what I was kind of making fun of before. Like if you tell people that you think these people are pretty sure you're Jewish and like you and me can talk about it. And, and you and I both believe that it's pretty clear that Columbus was Jewish of some sort. Um, AOC herself admits that she's got some Jewish ancestry. Uh, Paul Ryan House, admitted that he had Jewish ancestry. Now, the question is, do they have more Jewish ancestry than they're letting on? Like, oh, I had a Jewish great-great-grandmother. It's like, or are you, could you take a genetic test, AOC? I would like to see that. The only reason that we're, we try to be a little bit careful with it, but I'm comfortable saying like, yeah, she's Jewish and uh, Columbus is Jewish. Is because before you know it, then you have people who say like Donald Trump is like ethnically Jewish when there's just no evidence for it. Maybe he is. I don't know. But like there's just like everybody's Jew. This is what I do. And I, I agree with that. We got to be cautious. But this that's why if you notice what I said, I said, do you know who said she's Jewish? Now, sure, again, yourself. I did not go back to go and I didn't hear this from someone who reported it. She said. My family, I found out they were, they escaped the Inquisition. That's what she said. And we, I, we're Jewish. I didn't know I was Jewish. But remember, she's not the uh, first one to do that. Remember John Kerry. John Kerry's yes. running for president. No right. one knows that he's Jewish. And then yep. it came out, and all of a sudden he says, oh, I didn't know I was Jewish. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, this actually happened. Oh, yeah. I said, I, I thought, well, I didn't remember that he said it when he was running for president, but I, I was looking up. I found some website that was like entitled, it had an article that was like the surprising number of people that are, are Jewish and you'd never know. And he was like on the list. I was like, why would Jews put out an article like this? <laughs> it's like, let me tell, let me tell the Goyim, all these people who are, who are Jewish, who, who would never know. Uh, do you know, you know about Alexander Hamilton, right? You know, the shot no. with that? Uh, yeah. So his mother, uh, her her name her married name was Rachel Levine, and it was spelled slightly differently. But if you dive into the history, Alexander Hamilton was born on the on the island of Nevis in the Caribbean, and nobody knows who his father was. Um, his mother, his biological mother, Rachel, um, married a Jew um, named Richard Levine, and Richard Levine was from Germany, and uh, he came to the Caribbean to become. Just wait for it. A slave merchant and Alexander Hamilton was a slave merchant. Isn't it kind of funny that they attack every founding father for being a slaveholder? But for Alexander Hamilton, they, they have a star studded Broadway musical in his honor. They don't ever talk about tearing down Alexander Hamilton statues or anything. And isn't it kind of funny that this is the guy that comes to America like three years before the revolution kicks off, somehow worms his way into being George Washington's like right hand man with no military experience, no military background, then worms his way into the government all the way to the very top and becomes the architect for the banking system that the United States adopted as a brand new like out-of-the-box debt-financed system that is now used around the world and is in the process of collapsing completely. That's Alexander Hamilton raised by his mother who converted to Judaism, who's buried in a Jewish cemetery, who took the last name Levine. And Alexander Hamilton, we don't know if he's actually ethnically Jewish because we don't know if if he's actually the son of Richard Levine. We, we think that his mother had some other child, uh, but he was raised in that house. 
And guess what? He didn't go to Christian school on the island of Nevis. Now, they say in historical record it's because he was a bastard. They couldn't prove, prove his father was. But he went to Jewish school. He went to yeshiva. He, he let me, learned. Let me jump in here and talk go about. Ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Because if we start talking about the American Revolution, yeah, and this is this is one. This is a good conversation because a lot of people don't know and understand how the Jew operates, and I think it's a good place to talk. Yes. So we see the American Revolution occur, and we tend to think, you know, you know, you know. Uh, for, for at least white Americans take it because for black people, we were still enslaved. So it wasn't a freedom movement for us. But nevertheless, the idea of breaking free from England was something that was near and dear to the early Americans that, that became Americans, I should say. What we mm -hmm. don't realize is that Jews, Haim, Solomon and others are the yes. ones that financed it. Yep. But we don't yep. understand why they financed it and the and the great. It, it would be a good thing from a white American perspective, but it was a great betrayal for the Jew. So for, for us to understand, one of the things for Jews who have full world conquest, one of the things that they've understood, it's in, and it's in the protocols to learn elders of Zion, it's right there. Yes. They cannot have monarchs. And we say, well, why is that? It's very simple. And when, and when they call people dictators and all that stuff, it has nothing to do with whether they're good or bad. If they are going to systematically take control of the planet Earth, they cannot afford to have someone with the power. They can make one call and decision and say, you know, his, his wife can lay next to him and say, you know what? These people are causing a problem. And then he look up and say, you know, they sure are. Get my guard. Go out and do something. You can't have that. See, when he, he, he wakes up one day and he's like, I don't want to pay these loans anymore. Get out of here. Right. Like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> If you have someone with the power that a single individual can quickly make an independent decision and everybody falls in line, you can't control that or overthrow that. No. So what they do is before they make their move like what they've done now, they go after all of the monarchs. So England was the major monarch at the time and they wanted to take control from England. So helping America get free was helping to break the power of the monarch yes. with the English control and what we call the 13 colonies that, that was, you know, that part of America they controlled at that time. What and happened? That's why, that, that's why that conservatism is rooted in Judaism because conservatism is the ideology that came out of classical liberalism, which was this enlightenment philosophy that these, all these guys got very, very high on of rugged individualism and freedom and liberty and all this shit, which is just, it's just all of this like really fake intellectual window dressing that they gave to these guys uh, that they got really, really high on just like huffing this stuff um, to the point where it, they're like, let's just dispense with thousands of years of Kings and do this new thing. And they were all in bed with Jews. I mean, Benjamin Franklin marching down the streets of Philadelphia, arm in arm with rabbi and priest. I mean, it's just disgusting. We're not this. This show has gotten so much, so many problems, so many, so much crap from people. It's so hard to find words that aren't swear words. So much crap from people um, because they think that when we talk about the revolution in the way that you and I are talking about it right now, that 
it is anti-American and anti-white, and it is you're doing you're doing deconstruction that, that liberals are doing. And I'm like, I'm like, no, everything you told. Let me, let me jump in here. Let me jump in here. It was a lie. Anyway, let, let me yeah, let me jump in here because I I was going somewhere with this. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No problem. Uh, that's back and forth. Uh, what I want people to understand is, and I think it's probably if we're talking honestly, just looking at the chessboard. The best move that white America ever made, in my estimation, this is from my vantage point. When the Jews helped fund the American Revolution and America declared itself free, they didn't do it to help America. They did it to weaken England because, again, they plan on taking world domination and taking all of it, which we see them doing now. Here's the problem. They did not anticipate. That, declara that Declaration of Independence, and particularly that Constitution. See, if you look at the Constitution, it takes what the Jews were trying to fight, which is a monarch, someone that has the power to instantly turn the army and the military in one direction and can stop whatever they're doing at any given moment, and it weakens that. It, you know, they wanted to break it up. So you got all these different levels you got to go through to get anything done. And before long, you can't do anything because they own everything. You can't do that with a strong monarch. So they were destroying that. But the Constitution is almost like a written monarch, but it's more powerful than the monarch, because now you're not fighting the power of a person who's in power, who can pass and, and pass that on to a weaker uh, uh, you know, follow up. You're fighting a monarchical idea, which says that the people are the monarch. The people have power. And this document affords them the kind of power that you cannot take from them. They can only relinquish by not standing on the document. So now it created an issue for them that they've been fighting ever since. It's not that they haven't been effective in maneuvering around it, but that constitution is almost a Jew proof document if you hold on to it. The first and second amendment, if you hold them and you stand on them strong, literally provide no means for the Jew to easily take control of a republic, which is why if we look in now, like you were talking about some of the uh, things I've been doing in Maryland, you got to hold on to one and two. If you don't hold on to one and two, the Jew wins. Yes, there are a lot of good things that the Constitution says, but uh, particularly the 13th Amendment, <laughs> I particularly care for. But one and two, if you don't maintain the freedom of speech so that you and I can have this kind of dialogue where they can't tell us what we can and cannot broach. We don't have to agree on everything, but we can well, discuss it. Well, let me Go take ahead. your thesis like one step further, too. And this is part of something we talked about as well, is that the Bill of Rights which is the first 10 amendments of the constitution. Um, those were effectively stapled on to the original constitution. You probably already know this two years after the constitution was ratified. And it was done because of things like Shays rebellion in the whiskey rebellion, where they were literally making uh, people in America fight for uh, the revolution and then not paying them, like not literally not paying them and then making them pay taxes. And these people had rebellions. They actually had like violent rebellions. 
And the thing, our thesis is that the only thing that got them, now we're not encouraging violence, this is a nonviolent program, of course, but the only thing that got the Continental Congress to actually say, yeah, we, we better actually, we did this constitution, we jammed it down everybody's throats, and as we pointed out, it was, um, they, they rigged the election to ratify the constitution in Pennsylvania and Ohio, which were critical, or sorry, in Pennsylvania, which was critical to getting it done. And it's really just, it's a corporate document it's a document it's like or articles of organization to organize america like a corporation not like a like a um like a monarchy um and so what's what's interesting about the bill of rights is, is it was stapled on two years later because there were violent outbursts by americans who were like hey you guys told us that we were doing we were fighting for all this and we were going to get rights for us and they they put together the bill of rights and they did it only as a concession only as like a pacifier to get the american people who were actually like a lot more aware of what was being done to screw them over at that time um to calm down stop doing whiskey rebellions stop doing shea rebellions stop doing you know all this stuff and then they brought in uh marbury versus madison as this seminal court decision in the supreme court effectively to allow the courts to be the final arbiter of whether or not something can actually stand as a law. So they gave themselves an insurance policy against the people electing a Congress that would give uh, take away too much power from this sort of system that Jews have I idealized. And so because if you ask people, what are the biggest flaws with how America has unfolded? Why has it ended up the way it has? It's Marbury versus Madison and the ability to erode and reconfigure what the Second Amendment actually means. Because what is the thing that has eroded the Second Amendment and the First Amendment? Supreme Court decisions, right? Those are the things that have made it into this weird thing. This is how they get this handgun ban in Washington, D.C. for so long. It's because of Marbury versus Madison. But it's like the intent of the founding fathers was never to give people freedom of speech or freedom to uh, organize a militia or have a gun or any of this stuff or right to, um, to protecting yourself from illegal search and seizure. All the stuff that's in the Bill of Rights. You know, the, the, the refrain is, you know, from the black community is like, well, that wasn't for us. My response to that is like, it really wasn't for us either. They only did it to placate us, and now they've been taking it away. They've been trying to chip away it, and they want to take it completely away because Jews look at it as you say that it's a Jew-proof document, and they look at it, and they're like, yeah, the, the Bill of Rights was a mistake. We want to erode that as much as possible, and look at what we have now in the year 2023. Every single thing that they try to do at the state level because it's failed at the federal level is these is these like chipping away at the at the constitutional freedoms that people have isn't it right it's like illegal search and seizure being held against my will ask any political prisoner in the united states whether there's human rights for americans that you that you have constitutional rights in america ask the guy that's been in solitary confinement that hasn't seen the sunshine in in 7 days ask that guy if he feels like he has constitutional rights right so anyway, I'll get off my pedestal, but that's uh, there are my. Know, that's, 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 that it really it supplements what I'm saying in terms of you getting very specific about it. Th those Bill of Rights in that Constitution, as it stands now, if you hold to them. Even with the three party, even with the three, you know, the judicial, executive and legislative branch, the way that that is structured, it makes it difficult for the Jew to do what they do and not impossible. It doesn't help them though. It's not, it's not like that structure is helping them take over. It's what they're actually resisting. 
Yes. If we go and look at it on an international basis, and this is something that I really want, like, because there are a lot of white people out there that don't understand this. And I listen to what they say and I say they totally don't get it. The very same thing that they're doing to your constitution, the only difference when they do it to other places, those places are not built like America. They're mostly monarchical, meaning you have a Fidel Castro who said, Meyer Lansky, get out. Jews who are using Cuba as a playground and a whorehouse, get out. They're putting the same Jews out that we're talking about now, but then they get classified as dictators. You get a person like Bob, Robert, Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe. What does he say? We will not tolerate homosexuality on any level. People think it had something to do with land and all that, the Lancaster Agreement. All of that came later. The issue that they had when they're pushing this imposition of homosexuality, which none of us, I think, had an idea that it was an international war on the level it was at that time. But he just instinctively said, we're not going to tolerate this. It was like 96, I think it was, 1996. He said, no, we're not going to have no lesbians at no fear that we're having. All of a sudden, Zimbabwe goes from being the, the breadbasket of Southern Africa to a tyrannical nation. When you look at these individuals, they hate now all of a sudden President Putin is this tyrannical monster. No. <laughs> what you have yeah. is individuals who have the power to say, no, we're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to tell men to be with men or women to be with women. We're not going to let you come in and use our place as a whorehouse for child sex trafficking and any other sick, perverted thing that you want to involve yourself in. No, you're not going to dope our people up. Again. No, we're going to say no. You're not supposed to be able to say no to them and hold it. So they call that tyrannical and they call it we're breeding democracy. No, they're breeding confusion such that there's difficulty in organizing to stop any imperative that the Jew brings to your region. And yeah. so so when they take somebody like uh, what's our guy? I really liked him a lot uh, in uh, Venezuela. Hugo Chavez. Chavez, yeah. Again, yeah, yeah. Someone who takes control of the natural resources of his country for his people, all of a sudden he becomes a tyrant. We don't understand as much as they have. I mean, for those of us that know, we see Jews involvement. Honestly, they have used the white race as the battering ram to knock everybody else upside the head on the planet. And now they're moving to exterminate the white race and replace you with AI, pivoting the Chinese to have them right there as they make this happen and collapsing the US economy and trying to get the, the whites with the second amendment in America and the whites in Russia, the last two major military threats to the greater Israel project and the total overthrow of the planet of the Jews. Now they're trying to get y'all to go to war and kill each other. Yeah, this that's is where true. we are. That's what they want to do. And and see what's interesting. And I'll add one thing to that is that, I mean, I could add a bunch of things to that. This is, this is, uh, I, I want to keep going because this has been a fantastic conversation, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, but, but we, we still have to like finish his J woke story. Like we're, we're all the way over here and we have to go back over there. Like, uh, but let me finish this thought about this and I will, we'll reel things back in. Cause I want to get, I have some more questions for you too, but, sure. um, until recently, because I did a lot of deep dives on this, just sort of these like kind of like what you're talking about that you did with the interactive stuff. It really resonates with me because, um, you know, I like doing kind of the, the interactive presentations with video and lots of 
uh, graphics and, and kind of adds to that. But, you know, we if you go back in time just five years ago, uh, Putin was surrounded by lots of Jewish oligarchs. Roman Abramovich was was the source of all the steel for the wall that Trump uh, built partial partial like slats. Remember, the wall went from cement to slats. And I've, I've the red pill for people is like, yeah, that's because. It went from being concrete to being Roman Abramovich steel. Like this is what happened. Um, and and Putin, you know, a lot of these people, Oleg Deripaska, uh, I could go down the list of all these Jewish oligarchs. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, I never went down the road of because there are people who do this. Like Putin is a Jew. It's like okay, no, dude, he's an ortho, he's Eastern Orthodox, and he's like unabashedly Eastern Orthodox. But people get kind of lost in this stuff, and it's like. You have BlackRock heavily invested in in Russia and the way that they were trying to undermine Russia and kind of the TLDR of of what they were attempting to do and why they failed and why he now has become this like psychopath um, in their mind uh, is that they were trying to use the financial hegemonic vehicle that they set up after World War II that is borderless and totally international. And like what you were saying, how dare Hugo Chavez use his own resources or like China and Russia create their own currency or the BRICS governments create, trying to create their own currency to get away from the, the dollar. Um, they, if you do that, it's tantamount to doing another Holocaust in the Jews mind, because these are all tentacles of, of their control. And so right. five years ago, Putin was, had a lot of Jewish oligarchs, um, around him, but you know, a guy we had on this program for a while, Charles Bausman, would always tell me, and I didn't believe him at the time, but he said, Okay, yeah, there are Jews around Putin, but the Jews don't control Putin. It's not the same as is in America, where you have much more higher levels of control. 40% of uh Biden's cabinet is Jewish and all that kind of stuff. Um in, in Russia, the Russian government actually exercises a great deal of control over the Jews, the FSB and a lot of these other uh, a lot of these other organizations. And I have this kind of short sighted mentality that's not as pragmatic. And I'm just like, well, why does he just get rid of them all? And, you know, with some experience and some time, you realize it's like, well, because he was moving toward this goal and he made them excommunicate themselves he didn't have to do a pogrom they pogromed themselves these uh, oligarchs one by one when the invasion started slowly one by one left the country and and uh disavowed putin and they left um and now you have the the exiled chief rabbi of moscow telling all the other jews to leave they it's kind of a genius move and i don't want to make putin seem like he's some sort of demigod but he he didn't have to pogrom the Jews. They pogromed themselves. <laughs> like <laughs> here's the thing: they they didn't exactly pogrom themselves because they're still here to fight. But I'm gonna say this: I agree with you. I have a tremendous respect for President Putin. The, yes. the moves that he's making are very impressive. I'm gonna say here's the difficulty he has: he's now facing the international Jew directly. With what we see NATO is doing, driving in with the control of the U.S. executive branch of government, which essentially is the one that can start war. So you're talking about the U.S. being a big Jew, a Jew with a lot of Anglo-Saxon weaponry. Big Jew. Uh, yeah. Um, you got England. You got France. You got pretty much all of Western Europe, uh, Germany, all of them controlled by Jews. And now, yes, he's a powerful nation. Yes, he's 
aligned with the Chinese. But now the hard decision to make is kind of what you're saying was why I wrote this book. No one has done it, not just President Putin. No one in America has done it. No one has come out. See, the name of the book, here's the difference. We have a lot of great materials out there. A book I really love, Synagogue of Satan, outstanding. Uh, Andrew Carrington Hitchcock, I think is an outstanding book. Yep. I have no criticism of it whatsoever. Here's what we need, though. We need very direct precision highlighting of who the problem is in a way that's easy and tangible for people to understand. So I write the book, Jews are the problem. I didn't say Ashkenazi. I didn't say uh, Khazarians. Jews are the problem. Why? Because just like Russia at some point is going to have to say, Israel is driving all the problems that Russia is facing now. Israel and the greater Israel, which is the Jews of America. At some point, the world's going to have to say the Jews are the problem. (laughs) And whether it's America or Russia, but see, if, if President Putin had said that, and there wasn't the enlightenment and understanding, then it would have evoked America to say, oh, he's the next Hitler. So he wasn't in a position to do it that way. He did it the way you said. But it, yeah, at some right. point soon, that's not going to be good enough. I appreciate everything he's done. I know he's looking out for the interests of his people, but this Jewish lust for complete and absolute power and their willingness to exterminate everything in their path and the the level of lawlessness, drag queen story hour. Are you serious? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, the, the Satan, the, the 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 Satan, the Satan classes. They have the, the after school Satan program in mm-hmm. the school system. They're not playing anymore. They're opening your borders. Who can tell you that you can't close and protect your own borders? Like literally an open extermination of the. I mean the, the injection war. Who orchestrated this bioweapon injection, international extermination, slavery to genocide warfare with these injections? I mean, you look at, I mean, who's up there talking? You get Tal Zaks of Moderna when he was a chief uh, scientist there saying what? We've we've hacked the software of life, the genome. We can now add code and remove code from your genetic makeup, meaning we make you whatever we want you to be. These are things that are orchestrated, designed by Jews, and now we're at a point someone's got to say it. So I said, I'm not going to wait for somebody else. I'm going to write a book that they can't escape because they can't come out and say anything about the book because they don't have to say the name of the book. And they understand psychology. They're not going to say the name of that book. (laughs) They'll never say Jews aren't the problem. They just say that criticizing Jews is the problem. They never say that we're blameless, that we didn't do anything. They never come out and say that because – you know what happens when they do because it's just so obvious. But no, the book, the book is great, and it's it's like the whole boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement should just have been called Jews are the problem. I mean, all <laughs> all the things that we have these fancy euphemisms for, just Jews are the problem. And that's wow. why I even say like the JQ and and stuff like that. It's like stop calling it a Jewish question. There is no question. It's not like wow. we have to go proceed to do an analysis of whether or not Jews are good or are they bad. It's like we know we've established it. It's Jews are the problem. They have been the problem for a very long time. Um, and and if we solve that problem, things are going to get 
a hell of a lot better. Are things going to get perfect? No, because that's a lie that I think people say, like, if you just get them out of the way, like, I won't even have to tie my shoes anymore. It's like, no, you, guy, you still have to <laughs> you're still gonna have to build civilization. We did all this before, though, and we did it without them. They lead this doctrine of destruction, right? They call it this doctrine of destruction. Well, um, we call it that. They know that they're the destroyers. It's like when they go around and they say, we're, we're, our mission is to heal the world, tick and olim, right? That's this thing that they say, we're going to heal the world, bring light to the world. That actually just means healing the world means that the world is broken because Gentiles control it. It needs to be healed so that Jews can have a special place for the whole world is theirs. Even though God told them that you totally screwed this up and you're not the chosen people, this is why you're banished, you're the cursed people, um, they think that they're more important than God. They think that they are actually do have the right to this, and they've spent the last 2,000 years trying to teach everybody that they're lying. It's like, from Emperor Titus to Adolf Hitler, you have been the problem. You've been the problem all along. And you guys, the, the, the thing about it, and this is the thing that makes Jews very, very angry, is that, they, and they know it's true, is that not only are they the people that are cursed, the people that are outcast, is that when Jews obtain supreme power, and they've obtained it a few times in history, every time that they've obtained supreme power and they beat all their enemies and they control what they believe is everything, they destroy themselves, and they know that's true. They destroy everything about themselves, and even their own programs of like homosexuality and pedophilia and drug abuse. Israel, their birth rate is collapsing faster than any other uh, country in the world. People are turning into gays and drug addiction and everything else. These people, the poison that they're trying to use to exterminate us is also destroying themselves, and they will lose. They will lose. Like even if Jews manage to Holocaust or genocide every person on the planet except for Jews, I give them 10 years tops before everybody goes extinct because these people and, are just and, 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 and I'm not going to debate you on that. What I'll say is this. I'm not willing and even hypothetically, and I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not willing to concede to that concept because I ain't going nowhere. So oh, no, what no, it no. means this is all hypothetical. I, I know, you're not saying it. I know it's hypothetical. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying that these people, like, I guess the completion of the thought is, okay, so because these people will even destroy themselves left to their own devices, because you can't say that about white people or black people or any other people. Like, I think nationalism is great. Like, ethnic-based nationalism is great because you should love yourself. You should love your people. The Jewish people don't even love themselves. They hate themselves. What is a fixture of Judaism? Being a self-hating Jew. Like everybody knows that's what they are. They hate themselves. They destroy themselves. So why would you want these people in charge of anything? They have to be the furthest away from any lever of power. And they have supreme power in these countries. And look what they've done. So it's yeah. the, I guess that's like the rhetorical argument. No, we're going to never let them take control. This is life is too precious and too beautiful to allow them to do that. But look at all the beauty. They even destroy beauty. They destroy beauty before they destroyed us. It's like they just can't have it. So anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you said something. You, 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 you mentioned something about nationalism we have a new term that we call some we coin called cooperative nationalism and we're saying and we said that because we need a concept that can breed an understanding of different peoples because once we begin to move in to stop them from what they're doing we have to figure out how do we relate to one another like yes. the truth of it is 
let's say there is no Jew here today. And now black people and white people are here. As a black person, I'm telling you what my sense of it is. I'm not saying what you say. You can give your opinion. But looking out, looking in, my sense is, well, then white folks would then regather themselves and start killing us only because that's been our history here. And that's what I've seen, you know, through colonialism, through enslavement. So that's my sense of what it would be. I don't know what the white sense would be if Jews were gone, what would happen? What I do know is this. We would all benefit to say, what is a concept that we could respect that could help us navigate this planet and do a better job of operating on this planet than what we're doing now. And I think cooperative nationalism is it. Meaning what? Meaning I'm black. I have a right to be in black, black man, black woman, black child. And I have the right to have my own space and not be anybody have the right to try to come and take that space from me and my self-sufficiency. You're white. You're white man. You want a white woman and white children, a white family. You have a right to that. No one has the right to say you can't be here. And in particular, we're talking about Jews right now because they're the ones that are saying it. So what that means is we agree that each the Chinese, he's a Chinese man. He has the right to Chinese wife, Chinese children, Chinese family. And we agree that each of us have the right to exist. Not that we like each other. But we just say, okay, you got a right to exist. So you have a right to your own nationalism and your sense of self-worth and self-value. That is a better construct than this forced mongrelization that the Jew sponsors so that he can then create confusion and become the ruler of the planet. Let us begin to create our own construct. Like what we're doing here, I would classify as cooperative nationalism. I'm talking from my base of understanding as an African. You're talking from your base of understanding as a European, a white American. But we're we're coming together and agreeing and making a heck of a lot of sense to anybody who has sense to listen. And we don't have to say we're going to our, our children are going to date each other. We're not going that direction. We want to do something that's going to benefit not only this society, but our own survival. I want black people to survive. You want white people to survive. Well, can't we talk about the fact that the threat to our survival is coming from one place? Where's the problem? The book is sitting there looking people right in the face. That's, that's the right. problem. It, what are I we think- going to do? I think this is uh, this is probably the from the Jewish perspective, the scariest conversation that's ever taken place on this program, um, because, oh, yeah, because and no offense to our previous guests, but you and I have never met. We've never other than today. We've never talked to each other about anything before. Um, I do. I will admit. But this sort of undermines my point. But I'll admit I do. I did own your book. Before I was introduced to you uh, to to have you on the show, so I, I I was familiar with your story. So, but it doesn't it doesn't take away the point completely, which is that you and I are swapping red pill stories and what we know and what was like what was evolutionary in our thinking, and hitting on all the same kind of themes, not just simplistic like Jew bad, but more and in in, in in like more kind of like deeper of like these people seek to destroy us in our in our nations through this specific process this is what they've done in china this is what they've done in russia this is what they did in the american revolution like you and i and and it's not because we read all the same books either it's because the truth is going to persevere over all of the lies and it doesn't even it doesn't matter where you come from or what your background is 
you're going if you're not Jewish, you're going to be on the receiving end of this sooner or later. Um, and, you know, a great example is like they, you know, the Jews trying to push white white women or even just women in general up in the workforce to try to destroy, you know, men's chances at, at being powerful. It's because women are weaker. They can bowl them over. They can push them around and they don't have to pay them as much. But white women were. And, 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 and let me just jump in there and add something. And it's something else hmm. it does. Yeah. When we as men of any race or any nationality are out there working hard and taking care of our women, it gives us a strong sense of masculinity and the yes. women respect us. When the Jew puts them in the workforce and pays them, we hate to acknowledge this to ourselves, but he becomes the man. He does. And the so if he's the, the man, if, if, if he's yeah. the man, then he gives her what to think. And where she used to think, what is a homosexual? That's no good. He's competing for what I want, which is a strong man. Now that the Jew is the one paying her, he's now telling her what to think. And now she's supporting her own destruction by supporting homosexuality, which takes strong men away from her and gives males to other males. That's right. Women are very selfish. They're not supposed to even think like that. But they're not thinking. The Jews thinking for them, and it's not just them. They're doing it to all of us. They're doing particularly yeah. by bringing the women on the workplace, is very, very dangerous. Not that they can't contribute. That's not the argument. The argument is, what is his objective? Is to destroy our family units and make us easy to defeat. That's right. Because the family. Let me unit, ask you a question. Go ahead. Well, one thing I was going to say is that it's 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 redefining the self-worth for the woman and realigning it to, to That's financial right. incentives and jobs. And then look, look what they were doing. The me too movement, they shut it down. They literally shut the me too movement down because it was all Jews with few exceptions because it was Jews in the workplace raping white women over and over and over and over again. It's just, it's incredible. You know, two things I got to ask the question, but remind me once I ask this question, I got to go back to what you just said, Jews raping women. Because we're going to go talk about the Leo Frank situation and what they're doing yes. in New York right now. But <laughs> let me come back to Man, this is a great conversation. You said yeah. you had the book. Did you read the book? No. In fact, I have I, – I, first of all, people send me books. I buy books. I have more books. Like they're going to have to like – I hope this doesn't happen by me saying it. They're going to have to put me in jail for 20 years to read all the books I have. <laughs> Like I just have so many books, but I'm going to, I'm going to read yours next because it's, uh, I actually have yours and the, the one that you mentioned before the, the Jewish, not the Jewish onslaught. There's another, no, it was the one before. It was like the first book. Secret, you mentioned. Relationship. Secret relationship between yes. blacks and Jews. A multi-volume. That one's the one that has multi-volumes, right? The secret relationship. One, two, and three. Yep. One, yeah. two, and three. Yeah. I'm going to read yours and that book next. I want to prioritize those. Yeah. Okay, so let's go into this, uh, Leo Frank. Yes. Because you talked about white uh, Jews raping white women. Here's the interesting thing. A lot of people don't know. The second period of lynchings of black people from 1915 through about 1965, that was spearheaded by a Jew raping a little white girl and murdering her. I'm going to say it again because it doesn't make sense. How is it that the lynching of black men is sponsored and sparked by a Jew 
raping and murdering little white children. Very quickly, Leo Frank in 1913 raped and mur murdered little Mary Fagan, a little white girl named Mary Fagan in Atlanta, Georgia. Coming to make baskets, he goes in there, rapes her, kills her. Ah, oh, man. So it horrified the whole country. And the Jews became the, the Leo Frank became the prototype of a pedophile, a molester, and a child murderer, would be the Jeffrey Epstein of that day. This is 1913. He was sentenced to death, was supposed to be killed. The Jews went to the governor and lobbied the governor so hard that he ex he commuted his death sentence. The whites in Georgia were so angry that they went, snatched him out of the jail, took him to a predetermined location and hung him. The only lynching in the history of the United States of America that I can say was a righteous lynching. It was the right thing to do. I applaud white folk and the only lynching I ever applaud for, I applaud them for, but that one was a right lynching. If you rape and murder children, you should hang from a tree. Now, how does that have anything to do with black people? Leo Frank was accusing black men of raping a little girl. But because when they came to court, a litany of like over 20 white women had either given testimony or came into court and said, hey, look, this is a freak. And this is what he did to me. And he went down the line. He didn't kill any of them, obviously. But this is the one, the little girl he ended up killing. So it was very obvious and evident. He had even acknowledged to his wife that he had done it. So he was he was guilty. So. Even though the whites got him and won that battle, this is where black people lost. Between 19 and 13 and 1915, they created the first blockbuster in the history of this country. And it was called Birth of a Nation. Yep. yep. And the idea of that film, the psychology is really deep. The entire country is looking at Mary Fagan. Her picture was in the paper. So we knew what she looked like. And we were looking at a Jew who was the personification of rape, molestation, and murder of children. And rape of children. Leo Frank. They created a movie that rewrote history, created a little girl in the picture, a young lady that looked just like Mary Fagan. I mean, literally, it was a Mary Fagan lookalike. And they painted the faces black of the actors and had the black, uh, the white actors in blackface chase her off a cliff. She jumped off the cliff so she didn't get raped. And who came to save the day? The Ku Klux Klan. So what did they do? They created a movie that took the anger and resentment that white and black America had to the Leo Frank rape and murder of Mary Fagan. And then they rewrote it through this new thing called blockbuster film, this huge film that gets in, gets played in the White House and gets taken all around the country and conditions the white men to say that anger that you have about rape and murder and molestation for that Jew. Oh, it's not the Jew. Look on the screen. It's black men that are coming to rape your women. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not making a justification for it because my, my uncle was uh, lynched and murdered. I don't justify or forgive it, but I will say this. It wasn't like white folks just woke up in 1915 and the Klan just rose out of the ashes by itself. The Klan got up because the message was given to them that black men in mass are about to come around and rape all and murder all of your daughters, even though it was a Jew named Leo Frank. That led to a period between 1915 and 1965 of so much murder and torture of black people from white America who were conditioned by the Jew through media to believe we were coming to rape their children. 
Why do I tell that story? Right now, as you and I are speaking in New York City, I couldn't make this up. They have a play called Parade on Broadway where they have the Leo Frank story and they're trying to celebrate Leo Frank, the same rapist and murderer of the little girl, Mary Fagan. They're doing this right now. And interestingly enough, the only people we saw out there protesting were white nationalists who were smart enough to say, wait a minute, this is a rapist of little white girls and a murder of little white girl. And he blamed it on a, a black man who didn't do it. Why would we be celebrating him as a hero? This is what the Jews are doing right now. It's like, this is not yesterday. This is not ancient history. This is not American history. This is the American Republic right now with the Jews having the kind of power where they'll do anything. And the, and the, and the thing that people don't know, the very birth of the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, mm -hmm. it was born out of the conviction of Leo Frank. Yes. In the interest of protecting the man who was the head of Brene Briff in Atlanta, Leo Frank, because he was found guilty of a crime that he committed, the Anti-Defamation League said we can't have Jews be convicted and be defamed for the behavior of Jews. We have to do something about this and not allow this to happen. And that's the birth of ADL to protect and defend a rapist pedophile of a little girl that also murdered that little child. See, I knew about most of that history, um, and I sort of had an inkling about the the kickoff of of the lynchings. Um, but it it makes sense given what we know um, about how Jews kind of use golems, and then they also use people against each other. Um, this sort of divide and conquer. I mean, if you've ever you know if you've ever presided over a chat in a dissident uh, space or an anti-Semitic space um, where there's group cohesion and everybody's kind of getting along. And then suddenly there's some imposter account that comes in and tries to disrupt people and get them to fight each other. I mean, this is what they do uh, all the time. And um, it, it's, it's no surprise that they tried to shift the focus uh, away from Leo Frank and, and, and do this on in, intentionally um, because the, the black man in that, in, in that, the court case, the guy that they tried to blame it on, um, they uh, that that guy didn't they? I forget all the details, but didn't they like they threaten and silence that? Try to silence that guy and and try to mess it, with that it, dude. Yeah. yeah what, what happened is at that time, black people couldn't even testify against whites. But this is interesting. We're talking about a racist city of Atlanta in 1913. But what was interesting, the whites came to lynch the brother. But the sheriff said, no, no, no. This is how guilty Leo Frank was. The sheriff interviewed the black man and was happy to give him over if he had done it. But the sheriff said he didn't do this. So I want people to understand what I'm saying. Like the sheriff had no issue getting and handing him over to the white guys if he had raped and murdered this little girl. But the but sheriff said no way that he did. You know, it wasn't true. So he literally yeah. stopped the lynchers and said, listen, I want to give you the right guy, not the black guy. This is in a racist city. He's like, no, we're, we're going to we want the person that raped and killed this little girl. So the Jews were in, in fact, let me be more specific. I, I, I'm glad you asked the question. I don't always say this because people have a hard time fathoming this. Yeah. The Anti-Defamation League was created. This is why it was created. It's going to sound ridiculous. In the South, 
during that time, if you were white and accused a black person of a crime, it had nothing to do with whether or not the black person had anything to do with it or not. It was just understood that the black person was guilty because you said they were because you're white. You didn't have a right to a defense as a black person during that time. You have to get lucky if you did get one, but you generally didn't. Leo Frank's, the basic argument, the basic issue was, how is it that if a white man in the South can commit a crime and blame a black man and he's guilty, why is it that I as a Jew do not get the same or better treatment for a crime that I've committed? If I blame the black man, if you blame him, he's guilty, then when I blame him, he should be guilty too. And the white folks in, in, in Atlanta was like, that's not going to ride. We don't care about none of that. You raped and murdered this girl. You're going to pay the price. You're going to die. And they were yeah. right to do that. But that's why the Anti-Defamation League was created. We don't want to be defamed, even though he did it. But we don't want to be defamed. Somebody else should be defamed for the stuff that we do. We should not be looked upon as bad as Jews when we commit crimes. And, and since whites are able to get away with this, this is unfair treatment to us. Uh, and we're going to create the Anti-Defamation League, which is a preposterous and ridiculous reason to create an organization. But nevertheless, that's the reality. That's what they did. I mean, they needed an excuse to create that because the ADL is an in before. Uh, it's like a preventative maintenance. It's it's like risk mitigation for anti-Semitism that they knew would increase as they took power because they've done this before. They know what's going to happen. They know that people are going to resist them. And what's interesting about the lynchings is, uh, as people will point out, there were a lot of white people who got lynched too. And now that you know that that whites were also lynching other whites. It's like, well, who would cause them to do that? All of a sudden. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to jump in here. Oh, man, you man, you got some history, man. I've never been able to talk about this before, but you know a lot of history. Mm -hmm. You ready to find out a lot of those white folks that was lynched? You ready to find it out? Yeah. Okay. Go Let's go back to 1876. Samuel Gompers. Yeah, I know that Jew, name. A Jew that created <laughs> what? He created the AFL. Yes. American Federation um, uh, 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 Labor. American Federation of Labor that went on to become the AFL-CIO. What was he doing in between 1865 in 1877, so it was 1876, I'm sorry, 1876, uh, when Gompers did this, 1876, uh, but uh, I think it was 1886, uh, long, long story short, but between the end of slavery and the end of Reconstruction, which was 1877, black people had gone and start building up communities all throughout the South. Why? Because we had been involved in skilled labor for free during slavery. So we had the skills to build our own stuff. We built it for everybody else, but we never got paid. Now, not only could we build communities for ourselves and build our own homes, but we could now charge for our labor. So we totally controlled skilled labor in post-slavery America from 1865 to 1877. Gompers comes in, a Jew, and says, we've got to change this because they can't overthrow the American Republic with the central bank the way they want to and do the things they want to do when black people are an independent economic base because they'd be fighting black people and white people. Yep. They need dependency. 
So they create the AFL, American Federation of Labor, to say the only people who can do skilled labor, because black people were growing rich in the South on our own, by our own hard work. The only people that can do labor is people who are in the AFL. What was the problem? You couldn't get in the AFL if you were black. You were excluded. So in other words, it was illegal to hire a black man to be a plumber or an electrician or whatever his skill was that he'd been doing for hundreds of years and now passing down to his son and grandson. We were the best at it, the cheapest at it. You knew you were going to get the best work. So what happened? What happened is some whites were like, I don't care what you say. You know, Billy here does the best work. I don't trust your work. And I'm going to pay him to do the work because he does great work. And when those whites would do that, the AFL would come in and lynch them, eventually going in and creating the great migrations of whites from Europe. A bunch of them were Jews who jump into skilled labor and now supplant black labor and literally put black people into a re-enslavement process. We didn't have unemployment because we all had some skill. They literally created that problem and then began to literally lynch white people for white people employing, not even employing, doing contract work. I'm going to charge you to build that brick wall you want. You pay me a nice fee and I'll do it and do the best job. If you break that line of the AFL, they began to lynch white folks. So a lot of that lynching came because you had, just like what we're doing now, what we're doing now, we're talking and dialoguing and working with each other. I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. This is your platform. I have something to offer. There's an exchange here. They said, no, we can't have this. Yeah, see, because that argument, the well, not the argument you're making, because I, I, this is like mind blown. And see, that's a, something. Two points I want to make. You'll never, you'll never stop learning, because the true sign of intelligence is admitting that you don't know everything. And I will, and I'm not doing it because I say that I'm intelligent. But I, it's like the older you get, too, the more you realize that you don't know, and you sort of make peace with that. But you become uh, intellectually curious for knowledge, and so. I know I'm always going to be red pilled and I always enjoy it. And it's like, I, I did not, I didn't know that because the, the, the argument that you hear kind of in our circles is that lynching wasn't that bad for blacks. Look at all the white people were killed, but people don't know the real reason. Like, and it's like, well, yeah, but you're still missing the point. Like you don't get it. It's that Jews were doing this. Jews orchestrated it against blacks. And then they also orchestrated it against whites it's like, wow, what parallel might there be for that that we're talking about today as well? Oh, the opioid crisis. Wow, it kills blacks and it kills whites. And we have to, you know, it's like, of course, and who's doing it? And of course, this is now it's like people find out the history of lynching many, many, almost a century later. The beauty of the information age is that we all knew about the Sacklers not that long after it happened. They're all on trial. They lose. They lose. They have to spend a lot of money. But the system is trying to cover for them. There's still not justice that needs to happen. Um, but but yeah, it's I mean, every single time when you look at it, it's like, who's actually who's the one doing this? Because you get people when you first get red pilled on Jews, the, the, the reaction from some people, because we've been propagandized not to talk about Jews for so long. It's like, can we talk about something else, guys? I mean, surely there are other problems besides Jews. Like, I just feel uncomfortable. And you just look like a lunatic talking about the Jews all the time. It's like. I've gotten so seasoned at this and I'm sure you have too for how long you've been around is like, it's like, name me any subject, pick any subject in the world. I may not know about the history of that subject and I may have to go look it up and I may have, but I know where to look. 
I look at the banking system. I know who instigates their wars. I look at all of the different things. When did that country start having problems? Why did that country, left to its own devices and to its own people, most importantly, have no problems before it was contacted by an outside entity? And that outside entity came on ships with the British and the Sassoon family wants to start selling that entity opium. And that, that entity, the Chinese, don't want to trade with anybody because they've been burned before. Marco Polo and so on. They want to close their markets to the outside. No, we're fine. Thank you. Take your ship someplace else. It's like the Chinese in, in Chinese sort of their own rhetoric and their own narratives about themselves and being left alone. Do you think they look at that period in history and they're like, yeah, bad British man come and do all bad stuff. It's like, no, they know it was Jews. They know the Sassoon family ran Shanghai for 100 years. Like, it's like they know about this. And there's a reason going back to Russia with everything we've been talking about, that that method of financial control, who was, aside from the oligarchs, what did BlackRock and literally every single Fortune 500 company do when those oligarchs started saying, you know, we're out and Vladimir Putin is bad? They all pulled up their financial stakes. And guess guess what happened when President Xi went to go visit Zelensky and then he went to Moscow and signs all these like multi-decade agreements with the Russians about doing more bilateral trade and doing more currency and blah, 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 all the things that they're planning to do. The world Jewry went apoplectic. Abe, uh, Anthony Blinken, the Jew dec- uh, cemetery, uh, secretary of state, goes in front of the American public And is saying, like, if there's any peace broker between these two countries, it's invalid and it's tantamount to war. Who talks like that? A Jew. That's how Jews talk. And what do the Jews do? They take Vanguard and they pull out of they pull out of China. It's like, yeah, Jews, because the jig's up. Everybody sees what you're trying to do. You get the Chinese to modify their constitution to allow foreign controlled uh, financial entities to come into the country and do business under the auspices of, oh, we're going to help your pension crisis. We're going to help you guys figure out how to solve your financial problems. It's like, no, you're not. You're going to undermine the Chinese. You're going to fill their country with with homosexuality and pedophilia you're going to import a bunch of migrants into the country and then you're going to do unrest it's like all all these coups like pussy riot and all the stuff that they were trying to do to putin this is what they were doing they were liberalizing russian society they were getting them hooked and addicted to uh, cheap credit in in outside money and then they were going to undermine and destroy putin because they can't have a monarch and they don't like president g for the same reason but Putin, by doing this invasion, basically, and in, in all the Jews having to like leave and Israel having to declare that it's not neutral anymore and they're messing with Syria, it's like the Chinese are sitting back and like stroking their chin and they're just like, uh, yeah, um, get Vanguard out of here now. Like we're not doing we're not doing any of this anymore. So jigs up, Jews. Like, what are you gonna do now? They don't have a choice. And now all they're doing is they're doing this unrest in in Israel because. Because Netanyahu actually represents a piece of this. Maybe you agree with this narrative. It's sort of it's sort of a novelty narrative because it's like breaking news. But they're doing all this unrest because Netanyahu represents this potential detente with Russia, this detente with all these groups, and the return of Trump, who represents kind of a detente with Russia and you know whatever. And even though Trump has been very anti, you know, he's been saying, "I'll bring the war to to a stop." Jews don't want that. They want total destruction of of Russia. They want total destruction of China. But the 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 catch twenty two is they've weakened the American family and thus weakened 
uh, their ability to fight a war, another world war. You could never fight another world war II today. Um, and they've also like nobody is interested in going to war. People are avoiding being involved. They don't want to go to the military. They don't want to be involved in any of this at all. Um, so it's like they, these people have created a problem for themselves where they don't have the ability to move forward anymore. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to say I see it. I, I agree with a lot of the pieces you're saying. I see a different move on the board for them. Oh, go ahead. All right. I'm what it looks like to me. <laughs> What it looks like to me, and matter of fact, let me know when you're going to take the break or if you're going to take one, just let me know. Um, yeah, we'll take a break whenever. I, this is great, though. I, I, I looked at the time and was like, oh, my God. We said we were going to we, – we set a, a goal, an informal goal of being done at a certain time, and it's now 30 minutes past that time. I don't care, though. I mean, this is great. We can yeah. keep going. It's fine. Let me do this. I want to I take a quick uh, bathroom break with like two or three minutes yeah. or something, and you can play a thing, and then I'll come back, and we'll go into what I see with this international play. Okay, let's do that. All right. Audience, we'll be right back uh, after this obscene profit timeout on this program. We'll be right back right after this one at the end. You're listening to the show that changed your weekend forever. Fash the Nation. Fash the Nation. to we do have some unfavorables um and so we've got iu uh kamathi kamathi um sir why don't you come up you've signed up unfavorable and you're gonna have two minutes sir my name is iyo kamathi and i'm voting unfavorable on bill 842 this is the united states of america not western israel i want to remind everyone we saved the Jews from the Holocaust. Never forget that. It is un-American to make us mourn a victory that this nation achieved that saved millions of people from multiple countries around the world. And when we use these two words together, the and Holocaust, on this soil, there's only two groups of people that qualify for that. African people, my people, 
and Native Americans. Now, we can get into a room and joust back and forth on who the Holocaust applies to on this soil, but those are the only two options. As it relates to a Jewish Holocaust in this soil, the only one that I am aware of is the one that is being waged by Jews right now on the people in this republic. I'm talking about the bioweapon injections. I'm talking about the sabotaging of the food supply. I'm talking about the destruction of the economy. And I'm talking about the staging of World War III between the United States of America and Russia. So to celebrate a Holocaust remembrance from the Jewish perspective and my perspective is to celebrate as if you're successfully achieving the destruction of this republic. And I want to remind you, it's not over. This is going to breed a sense in people of a recollection and a modern day general orders number 11. I urge everyone to vote against this bill. Thank you. Hey, any questions for the witness? Okay. So, yeah, no, we can't let that no, sit. No. Are you going to go? Just, it's, you can't. Uh, um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Can't let this go. Um, let's talk about American history just for a little bit. Perhaps you're not aware that um, during the presidential administration of Franklin Roosevelt, a boat with 800 German Jews came to this country and they were turned back and sent back to Germany. And most of those Jews died in the concentration camp. That is part of our history. The United States has had a long history of discrimination among a number of people. Jews are one of them. I am a descendant of people that were murdered in the Holocaust. My grandfather's family in 1942, they were rounded up, marched out of town, shot and buried in a common grave. That's part of my history. I am an American. And so this particular bill is not only about my history, but it reminds all Americans of the horrors of intolerance and what can come of it. And so, yes, I believe this is a part of our history. And I hope you can take my comments and think about it that way. Thank you. I would like to respond to that because, well, it was it was directed directly at me. Okay, I think she just was making a comment. I don't think it was a question. Okay, any additional questions for the witness? Okay, seeing none. Thank you, sir. No First Amendment. No, well, you got two minutes. It's it definitely okay. First Amendment, right? Uh, yes, Senator Cranley. Thank you, Mr. Okay. Chairman. Once again, colleagues, I want to point out what you just heard is the reason we need this legislation and the legislation you heard last week. So, with okay. that. Thank you. Okay, so that concludes the bill hearing on Senate Bill 842. We're going to next, Matthew. Nathan. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I want to first start, I want to just uh, tackle four quick points. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to the uh, committee. One, we are in the midst of a two-headed 
genocidal assault. Two pieces. One of those pieces is chemical and biological warfare assault through bioweapons, uh, these harmful injections that are falsely called vaccinations. We'll deal more with that with SB 378. The second head of this assault of the Republic is the sexualization of children. We call it pedophilia. This bill, SB 199, is the sexualization of children, the intentional effort to sexualize children and promote pedophilia. Now, I want to first say this as my second point. As an African-American, our history and culture in Africa, we didn't even have a word for LGB or T, none of the behavior. The introduction to this behavior for my people was called slavery. The men were raped on those ships, introduced to LGBT. So to take that imposition of this without any request from black people of our position and opinion of it, and to force mandate it to be taught to children in schools without ever hearing our opinion is to promote and enforce a second enslavement. We weren't in favor of it then, we're not in favor of it today. The set third thing I want to bring about is more broad. She already mentioned it, so I won't speak so much about uh, every piece of it, but I will say this. I have talked to teachers and administrators. The part that we won't hear here is that they have documents that they are given and specifically instructed not to share with the public. They've shown me the documents, but would not let me get a copy of them because if I had them, I would have brought them here and shared with you. In those documents, very specific sexual things that are abhorrent and unbelievable are in these curriculum, which is why they use the word comprehensive health education framework. That framework has things that none of us here can see unless you can talk to a teacher or an administrator who will share that information with you. It is abhorrent behavior to be promoted to children. The last part I want to say is that the question you asked earlier and something you were talking about is very important. This is very quick. Where is this coming from and where is it going? In 1972, and I brought a copy for everyone to have, it was called the 1972 Gay Rights Platform. Two quick points on it. This is where we are today. This has been 30 years in the making. Federal encouragement and support for sex education courses prepared and taught by gay men and women presenting homosexuality as a valid healthy preference and lifestyle and a viable alternative to heterosexuality. And number two, this is it. Thank you for the time. The repeal of all state laws governing the age of sexual consent. Pedophilia used to be you go touch a child, you mess them up, they become sexually confused. Now pedophilia is take the capacity and the power of the state through schooling and educate the child. Now you don't have to go get the child. You have sexualized them. They will come find you. This is sick and it is perverted. And the last thing I'll say, and I promise it's the last one this time. This is a war against the children. The first line of defense is the legislators. The last line of defense are the parents. I'm specifically talking about the men. Please be a good first line of defense for us. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Any questions for the panel? Okay, no, no applause here. <laughs> so, um, we're going to go next to uh, Vince McAvoy. Um, he's here, signed up unfavorable. Mr. McAvoy. Thank you so much, here. Senator. 
You're a regular here in this committee. Um, uh, I appreciate you've got, two and, you've got two and a half minutes. I appreciate your welcome and I appreciate your offer for applause for that previous gentleman. I think he hit it right on the head and he uh, alleviates me discussing some things that I usually don't discuss on a daily basis. Senator Carrozza wants to know why we need this bill and Senator Gallian, I believe, wanted to know why it's being mandated uh, to be taught in districts that don't want it when Maryland has county superintendent autonomy. The answer is that this is an ideological front against parental rights, prerogatives, and common decency, which, as you just heard, a focus on pedophilia. That same disturbing ideological bent, forcing indoctrination and instruction and unnatural sex practice happen in this very and very graphic discussion in House Ways and Means last week. You should listen to that testimony. Parents are not happy. I remind this body that focus on promoting aberrant sex practices is not the job of lawmakers. I want to talk about focus. Chaudhry says, I can't focus on my job. How many hundreds of thousands does he make that he wants to disregard Maryland parents? Don't we all wish we could make several hundred thousand a year only to complain how we have focus issues related to teaching children abnormal sexual practices? Chaudhry's focus and Lamb's focus, Senator Lamb's focus has gelled on this notion. Maryland public schools just can't teach writing and reading and arithmetic unless they first teach children about anal sex. And as we taught by our teachers, that of the three million parents in Maryland, they're not deemed capable of transmitting their indoctrinating ideologies. Folks, I want you to understand this. If children are being taught this by parents, then your constituents don't want it taught. Simple as that. Semantics. I appreciate uh, Senator Simon Eyre noticed that issue. Note what Listen said. Curriculum framework. Don't listen to their wordplay. They lie. Folks, I was just in an education committee across the country yesterday. The CSE is not needed. The constituents aren't asking for it. And any state official tells you that they can't do their job without promoting sexual acts that are unlawful in Maryland, check the code. Okay, they're pedophiles. Any person who's not the child's parent that demands to talk about sexual matters is wrong. And it just, or is it happenstance or, or is it? that only one group feels the need to indoctrinate children to sexual practices, and they just want to happen to involve themselves with schooling very young minds. I, I probably am running out of time. I'm going to point you to Libs on TikTok. They have teacher after teacher doing this. Do not vote for this bill. I am available for questions. This is a camel's nose. They're going to, it's going to get worse in the coming years. Please don't do this to our children. Okay, any questions for Mr. McAvoy? Seeing none, uh, we're going to go, and just for the benefit of the committee, we've got four uh, witnesses still uh, virtual unfavorable. Uh, first of those. Ayo Kamathi, Jonathan Alexander, signed up in opposition to the bill. Good evening. Come on to the table. Thank you, Madam Chairman. My name is Ayo Kimathi. I represent Brothers of the DMV. I remember the first time that I was introduced to what we, I didn't have a word for it, but what we now call transgenderism. I was a little boy and I used to sneak out to the uh, living room when my mother was asleep to watch TV and watch movies. And so I turned on this movie and I watched it. And it was this guy. He had a hotel. He invite people in. 
then the women would come into the hotel and they would go take a shower and he would take a butcher knife. He would take that butcher knife and then he would go into the shower and he would start attacking them. And then by the end of the movie, he was wearing a, a woman's wig and it was, it was called Psycho. And even though I didn't have anybody to explain to me what I was watching, I knew that I was supposed to accept it as normal because it was entertainment, something I was watching through television and enjoying whatever was occurring. But never did I ever expect that I was supposed to accept it in life as being normal in real life. Um, we live in a society now where we're presenting Norman Bates as a role model for our children. If we really want to help children and stop the sexual insanity that we're seeing in our society, what we would do is fight pedophilia, not promote psychopathology. The serious, most important, dangerous social ill in the United States of America is the sexual abuse and molestation of children. And that is the direction that we should be headed. Thank you. Uh, Madam Chair, I'm Jonathan Alexander. I'm an attorney and counsel for the Maryland Family Institute. And I stand in opposition to Senate Bill 460 and the plan that it puts forward to fund the physical deconstruction and the revision of perfectly good bodies as an alleviation to the distress resulting from gender dysphoria. I'm using gender dysphoria as it's listed here in the bill. I'm also narrowing in on the text that mentions puberty blockers and other treatments to suppress the development of sex characteristics as being wrong. You know, our bodies are created to naturally grow and to thrive, especially the bodies of adolescents who have everything that they need within them to develop into full adults. It is inconsistent with the natural blossoming of adolescence into adulthood to fund hormones and puberty blockers that stop and then irreversibly destroy the body's natural ability to allow adolescence to grow into adulthood. And I'm aware of the statistics and the stories of the individuals that are promoting this, but I'm also aware of the growing number of statistics and stories of individuals now hoping that they had never undergone sex reassignment surgery, now hoping that they had never taken puberty blockers, now wishing that someone had come alongside them on their journey and sat with them and told them that they were beautiful in the body that they were born in. And that irreversible surgery, puberty blockers are not the way to help them deal with the realities of gender dysphoria that it would be better to encourage congruity between the mind and the body than to perform the severance of perfectly good working body parts or putting a hormonal stop on the natural development of adolescence into adulthood where an untold number of struggles do appear but will also dissipate if true attention and care is given to the heart of the matter. You know, Marylanders need to continue to be able to trust the medical profession to truly provide care, but not to conflate medical assistance with the breaking up of perfectly good bodies, especially during adolescence. 
And so for these reasons, I urge you to issue an unfavorable report to Senate Bill 460. Thank you very much for your testimony. There are no questions from the committee, so please enjoy your evening. Thank you, Thank you ma'am. Thank you. Vince McAvoy. I hope that you can good evening. I hope that you can hear me okay. Can you hear yes. me all right? Yes. Thank please. you so much. Grateful. Um I am I'm very much against this bill. And I want you to note that when there is document when they are you have doctors saying that this is medically necessary, alterations to the face and neck, to the abdomen, to the genitals and gonads, to voice therapy. These are not necessary. What we are dealing with is a group of people who has had trauma and they are looking for attention and an excuse to change things in their life. And they maybe they should. Butchering these children, and incidentally, there is no age on the bill. If you're talking puberty blockers, you were talking about children. Butchering children is not the answer. Gender affirming is not a thing, male and female. You heard people talk about the number of states who are against this. Folks, Montana, Arkansas are calling it medical malpractice. These people on this list that you're looking at for SB 460, these are not practitioners. These people have either sold out or never were doctors. I strongly urge an unfavorable female practice suits People who have received treatment that they are not happy with in the state, particularly children, could not have consented to this, and they should seek legal remedy. They should look at the Arkansas bill and the Montana bill. You will find legal recourse there and direction. Committee, do not do this to our children. No one could have ever estimated that in Maryland, 50-50, uh, was against same-sex marriage. Eight years later, they're trying to butcher three and five-year-olds. Do not be responsible for this. You know the state. Once this is in place, we will see this happen to our children at the youngest ages. Please protect Maryland's children. Vote for sanity. Vote against this bill. And these people are fine as they are. They need attention. They need help. They do not need butchery and surgery. Thank you for your time on the bill for questions. Thank you for participating in our hearing. You're the final you. witness. And that concludes the hearing on Senate Bill 460. Um, have a good evening. Thank you, Senator. Uh, members of the committee, uh, my name is Howard Libet. I'm executive director of the Baltimore Jewish Council. The BJC represents the Associated Jewish Federation of Baltimore and all of its agencies, as well as the broader Jewish community uh, of the Baltimore region. Our responsibilities include helping to coordinate security preparations, trainings, and responses for the associated system and all the Jewish community institutions um, in most of Maryland's jurisdictions. For the past two years, I was fortunate to serve on the task force that was created through language uh, by Senator Hendelman and, uh, and Delegate Rosenberg. Our goal was to determine how to effectively oppose domestic terrorism and extremism in Maryland, in including countering online extremism while protecting First Amendment rights. As Senator Hedelman said, we had a very diverse representation on this task force, including a number of outside organizations like the NAACP, like the Anti-Defamation League, like CARE, like the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and many other interested parties. 
really this bill comes just directly out of the task force report that was delivered to you at the end of last year. And it calls for establishing this Office of Domestic Terrorism Response within the Department of Emergency Management. What we heard over and over again was there's a lot of coordination going on. It's just not really formalized under one point. There's lots of people in law enforcement have relationships with people in other agencies. So they're talking on in an informal basis, but it's not necessarily systematically coordinated. This office would ultimately look to do that. We see domestic terrorism surging as, as an issue. As Senator Hedelman mentioned, we just had this into the incident in the arrests in Baltimore County. We also, this past weekend, many of you may have heard of the online Day of Hate that was threatening Jewish institutions across the country. Fortunately, nothing came of it. Just in the last couple of days, we had anti-Semitic flyers being distributed in Parkville. The surge in anti-Semitic incidents, the surge in hate incidents is something we need to systematically work on as a state. And we think this office would help make all of our communities safer from hate. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman, for this opportunity to address the committee. Uh, the reason I'm against the domestic terrorism response bill is because the four primary things that I'm aware of that American citizens are concerned about as it relates to domestic terrorism are not addressed in any way, shape or form in this bill. Number one, as a black man, this would be something specific to black people. Uh, law enforcement overreach that we commonly refer to as police brutality has been an issue for us from the beginning since we've been here, still an issue. Uh, the ones that all Americans are concerned about, and this is what American citizens are talking about, the pedo terrorism, the sexualization of children with the LGBT imposition of perversion in the school system, in the libraries, parents are upset about it, want to know what they can do to protect their children from it and feel like they're being assaulted from the society. Nothing in the bill helps to prevent that form of domestic terrorism. Number three, health terrorism. We remember no jab, no job. They attacked everybody. The military, which represents America's defense, the first responders, which uh, represent the health, the government employees, which represent the logistics and infrastructure, and the teachers, which represent the future, the students, the whole republic under siege. Nothing in this bill that I see protects American citizens from government overreach in terms of health. And lastly, constitutional terrorism. The First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and the 13th Amendment are under constant attack, and this is what American citizens are talking about and have an issue with. Nothing I see in this bill addresses the real true issues that American citizens and Maryland citizens are truly concerned about. And I didn't know this until I just heard it, but all I've heard is Jews have a problem and we want a bill that protects us. What about the rest of the American citizens that have real issues that are truly confronting us every day of our lives? So I'm against this bill and I would ask that this committee not be able to be made because it does not address the issues of American citizens. Thank you, Mr. Kamathi. And now back to Fash the Nation, heard only on the PRS Radio Network. All right, welcome back to FTN. We've got a, uh, we're gonna stuck a bookmark in the conversation before the commercial. Hope you enjoyed the commercial for for IO's book. Uh, gonna talk about Russia real quick, and then uh, talk about some of the recent activism you've been doing. Um, and then we got to have you back because there's like if I if you said Jazz Hands, come up with a list of all the things we'd like to talk about. 
I'd be still writing the list like there's so many things to revisit. But um, you were going to talk about Russia. You had something you were going to say about Russia before we went to break. Yeah. So this is the play that I'm seeing. Now, again, sometimes, you know, you don't know exactly what's happening. But right in the moment, this is kind of the play I see. They're moving towards what we call the greater Israel. I know you're fully familiar with that project. My sense is that their objective is to make Ukraine the new Israel. So they want to move out of Israel. So that's one piece of it. So in order to do that, before they can actually do it in mass, one, they have to get the Russian nation in the war with NATO because they know when they do that, we're talking likely we're talking moving towards a billion deaths. If you get America, France, Poland, Germany, all in the war with Russia, China, we're talking a billion people just, you know, if you don't go nuclear, probably just in terms of the amount of death we're talking in that type of calamity, then they can easily smoothly make their move to Ukraine, which is why everything was happening in Ukraine is because Ukraine is in my estimation where they're trying to make the new base for their homeland. Now, in doing that, in order to make that effective, they have to have a powerful military. Well, they've already done that. They've taken the U.S. military under the guise of a war, and they sent it to Ukraine and Israel. I mean, literally, they're just sending the U.S. military. So now they have the military. Well, they also need money and financing. Well, between Bankman Freed and uh, Madoff and uh, definitely Bankman Freed and uh, SVB. I mean, they're literally robbing the coffers of the U.S. right now in a way that I've never seen anything like it. So they got all the money they need. They got the military they need, which is the military of the U.S. And now they have they kind of have positioned themselves with China where they have China as. They have them positioned where they're the ones that gave China all these military secrets. They're the ones who they're not bullying China, but they're in the Chinese ear about how they should do things and what should be done with America. And America is about to fall and you need to be in a position to be the next world power. So they're right there manipulating the Chinese without the Chinese having the same type of understanding that we do. I'm not saying that China doesn't have its own agenda but i'm saying i don't think anybody understands the jews better than the white folks that understand them which is only a few and the black people that understand them, which is only a few we've had a different type of relationship and been more in close proximity with them to study them differently than the chinese perhaps and so if i was a guessing man i don't know exactly what's happening in israel but i would say it's similar to what happened in germany the Jews had already brokered the deal to take Israel. But to get Jews to agree to move there was not something that they could just get to do. It doesn't work that way. People just don't want to leave where they are. So they created the circumstances where uh, you're going to move there. Go ahead and do what we say. The big Jews tell the little Jews what to do. And so the little Jews eventually marched on off and all went to Israel. They're going to have to create a similar type of circumstance and scenario to get Ukraine. So what I'm seeing from my vantage point, 
They're using the Russians who have to defend themselves from the chemical biological warfare mechanisms uh, that have been sponsored by the Jews in Ukraine. They have to do that. So they had to invade and they're going up and they're rounding up the Ukrainians, non-Jews, and sending them out to fight the Russian military, which is getting them slaughtered. Mm-hmm. So they're basically clearing the way so that they can get the Jews to move in and run it. And then they're going to create the kind of problems in Israel that would make the Israelis say it's time for us to leave, which, of course, would make the Arab world extremely happy and excited, feeling like it's a victory. But not so much because they're going to just weave them into this major international war anyway. But they'll be moving to a new base, which will be Ukraine. Plenty of food, stocks, plenty of weapons, which they got the American military. Uh, they they poisoned the American military so that the American uh, pilots are poisoned with the jab. The uh, they, they homosexualized it and put a bunch of trannies in there. So they made them weak and soft. They, they, they've softened up everything for them to make a smooth transition while they send the world to a huge calamity. So I'm saying that to say, there are different things going on in Israel, but if I was a betting person, I would say whatever is going to happen is when they wrap it all up, it's it's time for us to go. Where are we going to go? Oh, we'll go to Ukraine. Yeah, well, it's the whole plan the whole time is to go to Ukraine. So that's well, what I see as the move. What lends what lends some we 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 call this sort of uh when we kind of throw throw ideas at the wall or maybe like speculate on things, I guess, because you're not really throwing an idea on, against the wall because you, you're thinking about it, obviously. And we, we call this kind of we call them novelty takes because it's like a new it's sort of like, you know, there's a different way to think about this. And here's what I think. And maybe it's kind of fun to see if, if what you say comes true. But what lends it a lot of credence is the fact that uh, Ukraine uh, used to be kind of the center of the Khazar Empire, as you know, which was Jewish territory that was lost at the hands of um, Christians, uh, and and it was taken from them. Um, and they were scattered. It was one of the 110 times that they were kicked out of a place. They were scattered all over the place. And one of the reasons why the Khazar Empire was so important was because it was on uh, the Silk Road, which the Jews controlled all the trade on. That's why things were so expensive. It wasn't that it took forever to get it. It's good that Jews were controlling the prices. It was a way for them to to act as tax collectors and yada, yada, yada. It goes ad infinitum. Um, and they they had a kind of a, a relationship, some small relationship with China, because I, I agree with you that the Chinese don't have a lot of familiarity with Jews, except in Shanghai and except in some other in some other places, because when Jews, when the Eastern Jews migrated to the West, they didn't go east to China. They went to the West because they're not going to blend in with the Chinese and, and for many, many other reasons. Um, but they did have kind of a trading relationship with the, the Silk Road stuff and, and Khazar Empire and everything else that you're saying makes sense. It's also that the tide, something else that lends credence to what you said is the tide against Israel as a country um, They've never really been able to solve the Palestinian problem the way that they want. And the more that they try to solve it, which for them solving it is just open genocide, open ethnic genocide, it's blowing up in their face. Um, You have the Saudis switching sides. You saw this happened in the last couple of weeks where they go from being kind of like Zog puppets to being kind of like, nah, we're going to renew our relationship with Iran. Um, And there may be many reasons for that, but Jews are losing this this uh, struggle in in this place in in Israel. Even though it's the Holy Land, 
Um, and they have kind of this, they feel like this special connection to it. Um, it it's really become more trouble than it's worth. The, the process of desalinization they have to create to make the, oh God, the desert bloom like a rose, the thing that they say, is actually really difficult um, to sustain. It's really expensive to sustain. They don't have a lot of fresh water supplies, which creates a lot of uh, unmitigated risk for them because you just cut off water in Israel and uh, militarily, it's the whole thing is a sitting duck. They're surrounded by their enemies who can be hit with missiles. Um, and Ukraine is a little bit more removed from it and got a lot of fresh water. It's got a lot of resources. It's the breadbasket of Europe. Um, it's the cent- It's a center point on the uh, on the Belt and Road initiatives from China. It's going to be kind of a transit point for a lot of, it's the center. Like Israel is kind of the center between Africa, Europe, and Asia. But Ukraine isn't that far removed from being kind of a central point. There's a lot more territory, and there's a lot more territory that is currently uninhabited beyond Ukraine in that sort of region of the world. Uh, and they can conduct a lot of influence. This is why Spain... And this is why Poland were such attractive uh, centers for the Jews previously, because when it was Spain, it was seafaring. Um, When it was Poland, it was controlling this sort of center of Europe. Um, And so, yeah, it it actually doesn't make sense for the Jews to have the United States as a headquarters because it's kind of removed from the center of where they want to be. Let, let let me let me and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my hat in again and tell me what you call it again when you're just throwing something out there you really don't know but you just you just throwing ideas out what do you call it again a, no, a novelty take because it's new yeah. it's kind of like yeah. I don't know if this is true I'm not gonna stake yeah. all of my clout on this but it this seems like novelty. a few things pointing to it yeah I'm gonna give my novelty take on the whole thing with Saudi Arabia again. Don't yes. don't judge me by this I didn't write it in my book I'm just saying I'm looking. A thousand miles back, looking and saying what I'm seeing. They're going to screw. They're, they're going to screw the Iranians. That's what you think they're going to do. That's what this is all about. Well, actually, I'm going to say it a little differently now. Then this is what I'm. And I wouldn't even repeat this if I didn't get this from the type of Muslims who. There's some Muslims who are extremely involved in research. Like when they tell you something about Arabia, that's what they do. And they don't just they don't just throw stuff out there. I've had any number of Muslims confirm this for me, that the head of the Saudi government, the head of the, 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 at the very top, that they are related to the Jewish families. Oh, yeah. For me, yeah, 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 yeah. Which for me completely blows me away, but essentially they Jews. And, that's, this and is- that totally undermines my, my theory. And my theory is kind of like a novelty take in and of itself because that's the only problem with it. It's like, yeah, the Saudis switched sides, but the royal family has still uh, got a lot of ties and like pretty credible ties to being Jewish. So, so you've heard this before too. Like you, you, yeah. you, you've heard this as well. Like this is not, that's not something that you've never heard before, right? That's the only red pill I know about uh, with that and that – like Trump standing there holding that like crystal orb that was like glowing. Like there's something with that being kind of like a Talmudic right, so let, ceremony. So yeah. But I'm just trying to say specifically, you've heard that this, the Saudi yes. royal yes. family is Jewish before. It's not your first yeah. time hearing it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, now I'm getting this from Muslims. So I know they don't play with that. So they hit it. Okay. So let me tell you what I see. And I'm going to tell you why. I think this, this will help people understand where I'm coming from. The bottom line of this is very simple. If, and when you mess with the U.S. dollar, 
Names like Saddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi should come up. You don't play with the U.S. The number one fastest way to get your country bombed into the netherworld is to mess with the U.S. dollar. Saudi Arabia, more than the other nations, they're not built militarily to defend themselves because they went into the agreement with the U.S. You'll defend us in exchange for us trading in, in, in U.S. dollars, Petro. So if George Bush, if Clinton, if any other U.S. president would have been in office and the Saudis decide they're going to trade in anything other than you even talking like that, there would not be that Saudi. He would have had a bad accident. We've already seen it. So it's not debatable. For the Saudis to make the decision to offend the U.S. by messing with the U.S. dollar is an indication, a clear one. One, they know that they're going to be safe when they do it. Two, they've been told by the Jews to do it. They're not doing it. This is not a decision based on the U.S. getting weak. No, it's an intentional collapse where they're moving pieces on the board. Let's go back because this really tells the story. If we remember, this is how you know who's in control. If we remember Hunter Biden's laptop was sitting around for months, no issue with it. And I, nobody says this and nobody re remembers what happened. Do you remember what happened when all of a sudden Hunter Biden's laptop became relevant? Do you remember what occurred politically? Uh, no, but it's there's always the, 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 these distractions. Now I forget. I remember at the time being like, oh, of course they're making this a big deal because they're trying to cover up X. Was it the Khashoggi thing or was it something else? It, it, what I saw was something different. And it was so funny because a friend, of, me and a friend, we talked the night that it happened. And and we literally were arguing about, well, not arguing, we were debating what was going to happen. Then we came up with the silver. We said, oh, this is what's going to happen. Okay. Biden came out and said, Israel, when are you going to take up your part of NATO too? You need to take a position in this war with Russia. That's right. Come on out. You're part of NATO too. Literally, he said that, my friend, we talked to each other. We're going back and forth. And by the end, we said, you know what? Hunter Biden about to have a problem. He said, yeah, Hunter about to have a problem. Now, we didn't know they were going to do the laptop, but we knew something was going to happen with, the, you know, with the, the Hunter Biden. Like the next day, it was either one or two days later, it happened. And we just laughed because we said, oh, yep, we know what that is. Why? What Israel was saying is, shut up, little boy. Don't ever forget who runs this thing. So mm -hmm. you can know what all of a sudden Hunter Biden locked up is legitimate. All of a sudden it comes out in, in Time Magazine, I think it was one, one, Newsweek, one of them, uh, New York Post, whichever, New York Times. So what happens is once you understand the mechanism, how it works, you can predict what's going to happen. Oh, it yeah. was pre it's predictable <laughs> when Saudi Arabia said they didn't pick up the phone with Biden. Literally, I was like, wow, they get because remember, the Jews run Saudi Arabia. So now the Jews are about to undermine the dollar and stop trading in the dollar. The literal collapse of the U.S. dollar. No country would do that. Why is no discussion of bombing the universe out of Saudi Arabia happening? Because the Saudis have always had a good relationship with America because Saudis are the Jews. The Saudis are run by the Jews at the highest level. And the Jews of America position Saudi to make this decision and go with Iran because it's the intentional, organized, 
orchestrated collapse of the U.S. government, of the U.S. Republic. The, 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 the neocons who would normally be like, it's wartime with the Saudis. You haven't heard a peep from the neocons about what Saudi is doing because no. the neocons are the Jews. Yeah, they're in on it. I mean, they know. So <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. And, and the, the intentional sort of winding down of the dollar also makes sense because they've, they've been very afraid of cryptocurrency for a long time to the point where you know, China has its own crypto. And then, then the U.S. government starts, starts up like FedCoin or whatever the hell it's called. And then they see this sort of the writing on the wall, the writing, as we say, the writing on the wailing wall has been that China and Russia have have been, you know, BRICS have always been kind of wanting to create their own currency away from the dollar because they don't want to be manipulated by by this post-World War II system. Well, the post-World War II system is only predicated on being a monopoly. It doesn't work when there's competition. Just like just like Jewish power doesn't work when there's competition because nobody likes Jews. Nobody, nobody is like nobody in history is like throwing parades for Jews and celebrating Jews for their civic achievements and all the wonderful things they've done for society. No, Jews have to create entire like bodies of of law, black letter US law that say that you can't talk about them. I mean, it's like <laughs> Nobody wants to do this. They don't they don't have remember all the great things that Jews have done for you day. They have remember the time that Jews got really mad in Europe and put everybody into camps. We have to never forget that that happened. It's like <laughs> it's insane. But if you just tell people, do you ever notice that, that nobody's clamoring to, like, give Jews a party or a parade? Nobody wants to do it. If they're so great, why wouldn't they? But it's always the same shit. Oh, sorry, my language. It's always no, no the same. Stuff. It's always the same. And, stuff. and I'm gonna throw this. This the last. This the last. What do you call it? Uh, you, uh, Final. Uh, no. What's what's the thing you call it? You say when you're just throwing something oh, out novelty there. Take, novelty take. Yeah. This is my last novelty take. When you say the bricks, all of that was well orchestrated and designed. I, the one thing I see that they'll have a difficulty with, in my estimation, and it hasn't happened yet, so I could have called this one wrong. But and again. From my vantage point, Bolsonaro is an extreme racist. I do not like him, but I'm not talking about my personal vantage point. I'm just talking about on the battlefield and international reality. He's a Bolsonaro. He's a well, well, I didn't know that. What I knew is he was against the LGBT and he was against the um, jab. So that told me that he was against the deep state and they put this other guy in there to come take it. So when that happened, I said the B in bricks has become Rick's because oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what I understood, Bolsonaro was I mean, everybody is a Jew. I mean, I mean, Trump and um, Biden both were controlled by Jews, you know, one by the Chabad uh, 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 Lubavitch, one by the Western Jews. But mm-hmm. Trump wasn't as bad of a I mean, he had his own mind to some degree more than Biden. Well, the same thing with, a, with, with like anywhere we go. The Jews can have some impact on everybody. But from my vantage point, Bolsonaro is not who the Jews wanted there. And I think that could hurt bricks. Now, I might be reading this one wrong, but he was no, hard against the jab and he was hard against the LGBT thing. And that's part of the Jewish construct. You're close to it. You're close to it. And here's here's what kind of where we've landed on it. It's like. This Chabad Lubavitch sort of circle of people, 
um, all the people that Habad and uh, uh, what's his name, um, the one that they're trying to pr- throw out of government now, Netanyahu. Um, Netanyahu. He, he's the, like Netanyahu and Arthur Finkelstein, this this uh, dead, long dead political scientist that I've done a lot of looking into. He's the guy that effectively created this idea of a kosher sandwich where you pit these. It's a false dial. Jews call it a false dialectic. This like false argument between two entities that people pay a lot of attention to and becomes a big distraction so that they can go about their business without being bothered by anybody effectively is what what it is. And it's that's the two party political system in America. And it's kind of been that way for a long time. And that's why they don't allow anybody else into it. Anyway, point being is that they they will take positions in that two party or two two party dialectic, this argument where they don't want to have uh, fascism or they don't want to have nationalism like actual anti-Semitic nationalism rise up and disrupt their system. So they'll field candidates like Bolsonaro and Trump um, and Salvini in Italy and in these different movements that have occurred that will take some positions that are that that are popular with the people who want to overthrow the system um, because they want to give sort of the impression that somebody is is okay with that you know the system these people that don't like the system will support a guy like bolsonaro because hey you know he's an okay guy he's against gays he's against this he's whatever but he's they don't want those people in power because ultimately those people it's like this struggle this eternal struggle between the western jews and the jignats the jignats want like they don't like the gay stuff because the gay stuff actually is eroding their own culture. It is actually like making people more anti-Semitic. Um, the Western Jews argue that the Jignats make people more anti-Semitic because they're the ones going out and killing Palestinians and doing illegal settlements mm. and all this stuff. Mm. And so it's it's this mm. it's fight over like which is the better way to go. Like mm. And the old battle, the old battle was capitalism versus communism. Today, it's this anti because the whole anti woke movement within conservatives conservatism is all Jewish because what they're trying to do is like do an in before they're trying to like pre butt the argument that would come in and be like, get rid of all this. Because what was what was what was Nazism a reaction to? Weimar Germany, homosexuality, pedophilia, mm. drug use. They're doing Weimar Germany all over again, but they're trying to create like a fake opposition to it to get all these people who would other- otherwise be pulled into nationalism, anti-Semitism, into something that's like safe and it's not going to damage them at all. That's what all these move. They know that there's going to be anti-Semitism kind of returning. Ben, to what's his name? Ben, I don't mean to cut you up, but Ben something. What's his name? Ben, the, 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 the super conservative Jew that had CPAC in Israel. What's oh, his name? Ben. Yeah. Uh, ben Shapiro. Is it your thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. I'm listening. Go ahead. Yes. And so they, they, and another one is uh, this Yoram Hazoni, who's literally in Israeli, who invited Tucker Carlson and a bunch of these like right wing pundits that people think are white nationalists uh, to this conference on American nationalism. He was trying to create this movement uh, that was an extension of Trumpism to suck all these people in um, to just like trusting this plan that was just like more fake, retarded, gay conservatism. And I wrote an article on my website about it because it was so funny. Guess which founding father Yoram Hazoni chose to make a new hero of his American nationalist movement. Guess which founding father he chose? Hamilton. Yes. Hamilton. 
<laughs> and I learned that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because – and I was like – but if I didn't know that about Hamilton, I would just be like, oh, that's interesting. He's picking the guy that has the Broadway play. I wonder why he's doing that. It's like, no, because he was raised by a Jew. He spoke Hebrew. He made the bank. It's like, of course. But anyway – Bolsonaro, Salvini, all these movements across Europe, the uh, the alternative for Deutschland, all these these movements that people thought were like racist and extremist and violent, anti-Semitic. The media told people that because they wanted people to believe that that was the enemy. But that was just like some fake thing that that was stood up, just like the whole January 6th thing. It's like people think that this was like you know, white nationalists taking over America. It's like, no, they were led to the Capitol. They were allowed in by the police. The whole thing was orchestrated so that they could railroad a bunch of people into sedition charges. And so that Christopher Ray can now go out and say that white supremacist, nationalist, whatever guys are the, the real terrorists. We have to have domestic terrorism statutes in America. These guys stood there with the Capitol police, letting them in. The media was standing there taking pictures of them to put all over the, 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 the internet. The moment that this happened, it was like the most perfectly constructed gay op that there's ever been. And, and it's like, people, people think that like, Oh, you know, if, if Trump was authentic, it's like, why didn't he bail you out of jail? Why, did, why didn't he pardon you when he had the chance? Instead, he's pardoning Steve Bannon, who is literally raising money to build a wall and then putting it in his pocket. It's like these people are just criminals. And the whole thing is like Bolsonaro. It's like they tried the thing that they did with Trump and they did the thing with January 6th with Trump. They did the whole like the rigged election stuff. And then they played the same movie for people in, in Brazil. They have the people in Brazil charge the Capitol. They arrest them. They have the elections rigged. Like uh, Bolsonaro is literally using the same rhetoric. And I guarantee you, if you're a nationalist in Europe and you're still supporting these nationalist parties that are coming into power, most of our people are like have moved well beyond all that. But they're going to do the same thing in Europe. I look, look at this stuff in France where people upset about the pensions. How long before they have right-wingers storming uh, some government building in these places and just doing the same thing? And then they're going to declare an international war on domestic terrorism by people who are resisting uh, democracy and change, and then they just go destroy all these people. It's all yeah, and, and let me say this, because I think, and I really, and I mean it when I say this, all of that works. Here's the problem. When you come in with Jews are the problem. What happens is they've created because, of course, they intend to create all this commotion and then they're going to take it where they want it to go. Right. But when you come and crash in the door and say Jews are the problem and you get the people to hear it and see it and feel it. But you don't have to do a whole lot because they've already created it cuts right they through. They go a different direction, but they've created what you need. Well, this is the to point. Do exactly what you need to do. Is that is this whole complicated system that they've created that we've been unraveling for for how long? This red pilling process. The thing is, is that your book and that statement of just Jews are the problem cuts right through all this. Where the it, it and it's it, what your message has done is it has succeeded such that they can't go fight another world war two. They can't keep telling people to vote Republican and Democrat, because I think according to Gallup, it's like more people than at any point in history have left these parties. They're abandoning this fake 
kosher dialectic and they're looking for answers. They're searching for the truth. And, and Jews are kind of like standing on the side of that highway of people leaving the Jewish city. They're fleeing the Jewish city and they're like, I don't want to be here anymore. This is a disaster. And Jews are standing on the highway and they're saying they're selling people tickets to different paradises that are fake. And it's like, oh, like, come over here. We're going to we're going to do Trumpism. We're going to do, uh, you know, American nationalism or like whatever. And we're like, nah, people, stay on the highway, keep going. You, it's, don't ignore this. This is this is BS. And this is what they're doing. And uh, I think the the thing is, is like Jews are the problem. Is the ultimate destination. And people are looking now at these people standing on the side of the highway, and they're like, I don't want to let that person in my car. I don't even want to talk to that person. Look at that Jew. I don't want to talk to that guy. And this is why, like, the ADL put out that study. Where anti-Semitism is like worse than it's ever been, in my opinion, it's like worse. It's like better than it's ever been. What are you talking about? Because they say 85% of Americans now believe in one Jewish trope, which is like what they really mean is 85% of America has found out about one thing that we do. <laughs> and they're finding out about more things that we do. And this is very bad. And it's like, well, yeah, because you guys have... This is the catch 22. We always talk about this on our show. It seems like shows always end on this note. So it's probably it's good. Um, it's it's that the harder Jews fight and the catch 22, the book was was written about a Jew by a Jew, by the way. It's really funny to use this term catch 22. But it's like the harder they fight, the more anti-Semitic people get the more that they back away and try to pretend like they have nothing to do with anything, the more powerful the interests of the people trying to overthrow them become. And so they really have backed themselves into a corner. And one of the mistakes that they made in, in looking into this is kind of like when they started to weaponize anti-Semitism, like you've heard George Soros very bad trying to take over the world, right? You've probably mm -hmm. also heard that George Soros was a Nazi ratting out other Jews in World War II. Not a Nazi. He's a Jew. He's a financial currency manipulating Jew. The mistake that Jewry made was the Jewish uh, political consultants for um, – uh, what's his name? The guy from Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban – they, they beat Jobbik. They beat the opposing party. They beat the communists in, in Hungary. And they did it so well that it was like 80% support uh, Orban. Well, that's a problem for Jews. And I think Orban is redeemable, just like Putin is redeemable. It's a problem for Jews to have complete power because you have to have an enemy to fight in order to kind of keep the thing going if you're not actually going to deliver on any of your promises. So the Jewish political consultants for, for Orban, Arthur Finkelstein was one of them, also a, a political consultant for Netanyahu. This is how we've made the connection between these people, is they all have the same Jewish political consultants, is that they said, well, we need a boogeyman. We need, we need an enemy to fight because we defeated Jobbik. We defeated the authentic like right-wing fascist party in, in Hungary. Um, and so now we need to create some other enemy. And they said, well, George Soros is the perfect boogeyman. We'll just tell everybody that he's the bad guy. Get all these people whipped up in all these countries to be anti-Soros because you can't be pro fake kosher right wing. Right. Like that's just the essence of Finkelthink. You can't convince people to support a fake kosher right wing thing that is never going to deliver on any of its promises. So you have to create a boogeyman, this guy behind the curtain. The mistake that the Jews made was selecting an actual Jew to be that boogeyman, because then people are like, well, let me look into Soros. What's he all about? 
And then they find out that he's bad. And so the response to that was conservatives like, well, we'll just tell everybody that he's actually a Nazi. This is what they did on Fox News and all these networks. It's like he's a Nazi that ratted out Jews during the Holocaust. It's like, no, he's a Jew. He's a financial manipulating Jew. And, and when you start drawing these connections, this is the problem is when they took that fake dialectic and they let the narratives in that dialectic stray into anti-Semitism because that's where people's brains were going. They said, oh, we'll create Soros and then we'll reel it back in by telling everybody he's a Nazi. It's like you, people aren't that stupid. People aren't that dumb. They have the Internet. They have no censorship at that time. And people were looking into this stuff. And this is what the magic happened on the Internet. You saw it happen. And this has been their tactical error. And they've been trying to get people dialed back in and they can't do it because the cat's out of the bag, just like it's been out of the bag 110 times before. And everybody understands now who is in charge and what is going on. I mean, like you put Zelensky, a literal like trans dressing homosexual as like like this like uh, army green, like, you know, skin tight T-shirt wearing like Hollywood general. I'm going to save my people. It's like nobody believes this. Nobody believes this. They tried to farm. They try to farm Ron DeSantis as the replacement to Trumpism by having him do all the gesticulating and name calling. Nobody bought it. Nobody likes Ron DeSantis. I'm sorry to yell, but it's like I get so excited about this because it's like Jews are are have screwed themselves so badly because they're out of options and they're trying to like come up with ways to resuscitate and save this thing. And I just maybe I'm too white pilled, Io, but I don't. I, I like I see nothing but good things for us and more risk and problems for them, because I honestly, if I sit here and I think I'm like, well, what what are their options? What are their strategic options? What do you do next? You can't. It's catch 22. Like they're, they're stuck. I don't know what they're going to do. The only other thing that we can come up with is like they're just going to start a World War Three and have some sort of nuclear incident to try to wipe the slate clean or a financial collapse or something. I don't know. Maybe like what you're saying with the collapse of the dollar is the way that they, they don't have a good option. So they roll the it's, dice it's, and hope for the best. It's, it's a multitude of things. I'll say they have lots of options. Here's the thing. They have to be effective. So in other words, yes. All right. If there is no Jews, all the problem, if you're not doing your program, if other people aren't doing this, all of this stuff would go through smoothly. Oh yeah. Because they have this type of intellectual, dialogue where you're putting out stuff people are thinking they're listening they want to learn and they're going to do something it takes time to, to digest it they're going to do something here's what they're ended up with they have a bunch of plays on the field but we represent blocking those plays so for instance the easiest play on the field for them is to set black people against white people and white people against black people perfect example right now they're they're, they're, they're indicting president trump who do they have indicted President Trump? Oh, that's right. Is it Letitia, uh, the woman from New York? Is it the AG from New York? Well, it's the, it's the one from New York City, so the black guy. But then they have, a like you said, it's a woman from New York and then one from uh, Atlanta as well. All three of them, Georgia, all three of them are black. Now, what is that for? First of all, we know don't know black folk have no kind of power to do that. And quite frankly, I'm black. I can tell you, nobody black is even thinking about indicting some Trump. Nobody even thinking like that. But for the Jew, it's his setup of how he starts and sparks racial warfare. Yes. So it's literally not black people that are indicting Trump. It's Jews indicting Trump through blackface. 
Yep. But see, in the past, we haven't had the ability. You reach hundreds of thousands of people. So we're having this discussion now. Now, when people are looking at it, where subconsciously somebody white who's a white nationalist is looking at these black skinned people thinking, see, these you know what's are doing this to Trump. Now they're going to go, oh, that's not a black person. Nope. It's nope. a Jew. And now yeah. the white nationalists will start saying, don't even believe it. Just because, yeah, they always, the Jews always put a black person in there to do that. So now once the white nationalist says that and a black person looks at that and goes, yeah, now what happens is we're not going to fight over that because we know that the Jews are the ones doing that. And so if they can't get us to fight, they have a problem. But then on top of the fact that if we do our job, they won't get us to fight. As they're doing this, we're pointing out to each other everything the Jew has done. You talking to me about what the Jew did with the slave trade. I'm talking to you about why the lynchings happened to white folks here. The Jews are doing this. Mm -hmm. And we're going back and forth trying to fight to see who the Jew has done worse. And while we're doing that, what we're doing is we're engaging in deconstructing the hatred. It's not that we don't have animus or disagreements, but it's not Jew controlled. Whatever we disagree with each other on, that's our discourse. And we can have that dialogue. And some, even if it's not me and you, other people start saying, why can't black people who have something to offer in a dialogue and white people that have something to offer in a dialogue, they don't all have to be intellectuals, whoever they are. But why can't they sit and have honest dialogue about what we don't agree with? And then what happens is if you take that away from it, then somebody says, do we have to allow them to crash the dollar? See, that's where the conversation is going to start going, because once we start talking, we say, yeah, we know what they're going to do. But why are we allowing them? Yeah, why that's would we where this happen? Yeah. It's why don't we stop them? We have there you we, go. Have, we have the power to do it. And because they've screwed over so many people like, you know, that their theory was that if we if we make all these countries extremely multicultural, that the people have so many different interests and what they really mean by that is we have people that we can pit against each other in the society that will just dominate them with democracy. That's why they don't want the, the monarchies in place. But it's right. what's yeah. And it's great because like, look, I mean, what you're saying, it's it's really interesting because, you know, uh, when I, I got on a plane one time that was heading to D.C. and I don't remember where it was out of. But all these guys in in tuxedos with red bow ties, they're all black guys in tuxedos with red bow ties got on the plane. And I and, you know, my first inclination was like, man, that's a lot of black people on this plane. And a lot of white people, if they don't know who those guys are, they would feel like very uncomfortable. But you know what? Those guys sat down and it wasn't the whole plane, but it was a majority of the plane. These guys were just quiet, talking to each other, very polite, very nice. And a lot of the people around probably had no idea why. And it's because they are all they are all uh, Minister Farrakhan's guys. They were going to D.C. to see Farrakhan because I looked it up and realized what it was. But because I was jaywoke and I know those guys were there, they might not want to talk to me. They might want to have another. What the fuck is this guy talking about? And I, you know, I didn't because there was people who were not Nazis and not Farrakhan's guys on the plane. I didn't want to start having a conversation about Jews with these guys. But they might. I also recognize they may not even want to talk to me because why the fuck would they know me? Why the why are they talking to me? Why what you know? What is this guy talking to them about? They don't know. But if there was a way to break down some of the barriers there, I thought to myself, 
these guys and I would probably have a very interesting conversation, just like you, you and I have been able to have. And and I think those imagine imagine pulling out, imagine pulling out your copy of Jews Are the Problem. Yes, while you sitting next to one of them. If I had that at the time, I would have. That's it. Right. I would. I wish I had a book. I was like, man, what book? I wish I had a book I could just pull out and just like very conspicuously like hold up and like fan through and like. <laughs> but you know, maybe maybe next time. I don't know. We'll, we'll make sure you get a copy of this complimentary uh, uh, as a, as a as a thank you for this opportunity to share this platform with your people, and we'll yep. get that out to you, and then uh, you can go from there. You'll you'll make sure you never run into that situation again. I appreciate that. And uh, for people that are interested in ordering the book, please do. Please order it. Um, we're going to have the commercial playing. We're going to have all the links. Uh, we totally ran out of time to play any of the videos, but I'll just say this because we do have to go. Um, the activism that you've been, you didn't just write a book and get Jay woke and are involved in black nationalism. Io is going out to city council meetings in Florida. He's going out to, to hearings um, in the state of Maryland. Uh, what other what other places have you been going to to thunder? We we call it thunder striking, but basically you're going out there and thunder striking these Jews because they don't expect they expect like you know some mealy mouth like civic you know boomer to show up and be like, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And I just have a question about the you're going out there and, and you're you're calling out the 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 contradictions. Uh, you're calling out all the issues, and probably at first they they probably didn't think that there was much to worry about um but then you keep going and you're very articulate and you're talking about <laughs> the jewish problem um the, the reaction's been fantastic so keep doing what you're doing we, I, I wanted to play the videos and, and watch this stuff uh and react to it but they're all going to be at the end of the show you also can find it on all your social media gab uh twitter youtube um, and of course, the website JewsWithTheProblem.com. Um, anything else you wanna you wanna point people to, or uh, what, what's coming next? Uh, unless you don't want to. I tell them MoneyTreePublishing.com. Again, that's oh, yeah. MoneyTreePublishing.com. That is the person that uh, that is our publisher that's selling the book. So we want to thank our publisher. They're doing a fantastic job. And uh, what I say is, I, I can't tell you what, but let me just say this. Probably in the next 60 days or so, we're going to have something that's going to hit. You're going to like it. All right. All right. Looking forward to it. Well, maybe maybe in 60 days or so, we'll have you back on the program to continue this conversation. It's been very uh, productive and I've, I've enjoyed it very much. And I have been taking notes, actually, on things that I want to go look up and go down the rabbit hole on now, too. So um, I appreciate the time, Io, uh, and we will catch you guys later. Have a great weekend, everybody. No show next week because it's Easter. See you guys later. All right. Thank you. Meine Kameraden, wir feiern nun wieder den 9. November, so wie damals am Vortag die Kundgebung. Für uns war das Jahr 1923 ein Höhepunkt des Kampfes um die Macht in Deutschland. Diesen Kampf und damit die Bedeutung des Tages, den wir feiern, begreift nur derjenige, der sich zurückerinnert in die Zeit, in die wir damals gesetzt waren. Und vor allem derjenige, der sich die Vorgeschichte dieses ganzen gewaltigen Ringens wieder vor Augen führt. 
als wir in das politische Leben der Nation eintraten, waren unsere Namen unbekannt. Der größte Teil von uns, ich an der Spitze, gehörte nicht einmal einer Partei an. Die meisten waren Soldaten gewesen, kehrten aus dem großen Krieg zurück mit Grimm oder mit Verzweiflung im Herzen. Die Lage unseres Volkes, des Deutschen Reiches, schien eine verzweifelte, für viele Hoffnungslose zu sein. Es begann die Periode des Leidens und des Elends und damit auch der Verzweiflung in unserem Volk. Es gab damals wohl viele Menschen, die überhaupt keine Lust mehr im Leben hatten. Die Selbstmordziffern, sie stiegen ja bis über 20.000 pro Jahr. Den meisten schien ein Leben nicht mehr empfehlenswert zu sein, das keinerlei Aussicht bot, jemals die Gleichberechtigung und damit die Freiheit des deutschen Volkes wieder erreichen zu können. Damals begann nun unser Kampf. Es war ein schöner Kampf. Denn es war ein Kampf, der gegen alle Wahrscheinlichkeiten geführt wurde. Als ich zum ersten Mal in dieser Stadt auftrat und viele von Ihnen mir dann zu folgen anfingen, die Sie heute hier sind, da wurde ich von besten Freunden selbst aufgegeben. Man konnte es gar nicht begreifen, wie ein sonst vernünftiger Mensch es sich plötzlich in den Kopf setzen wollte, allein gegen eine ganze Welt von Realitäten anzukämpfen. Man sagte, was will dieser Unglückswurm? Er hat weder Geld, noch hat er einen Namen. Er hat hinter sich nicht einmal eine einzige Zeitung. Er hat keine Partei. Er hat gegen sich alles, was da ist. Er will gegen alles kämpfen. Er will kämpfen gegen die Unternehmer. Er will genauso kämpfen gegen die Proletarier. Er will kämpfen gegen das derzeitige demokratische Reich, aber genauso gegen die Länder. Er will kämpfen gegen alle die Kommissionen. Er will kämpfen gegen die organisierte Gesellschaft, so wie wir sie heute besitzen. Des Kapitals, aber genauso gut gegen die Organisation der Gewerkschaften. Es gibt überhaupt nichts, gegen was dieser Mensch gekämpft will. Er will einen neuen Staat aufbauen, eine neue Gesellschaft und hat überhaupt niemand hinter sich. Ein Wahnsinniger, der es unternimmt, alleine auszugehen und einer ganz kompakten Mehrheit auf allen Gebieten nur den Kampf anzusagen. Es war nicht so einfach, dieser Kampf. Trotzdem begannen sich allmählich die Erfolge zu zeigen. Gegen die Totschweigungsmethode sowohl als gegen die Methode des Lächerlichmachens, des Spottes, später gegen die Flut von Lügen und Verleumdungen und endlich gegen den Terror begann die junge Bewegung sich durchzusetzen. Sie alle haben das erlebt. Sie sind damals so im Einzelnen zu mir gestoßen. Die einen im Jahr 19, andere im Jahr 20 und 21. Und sie alle haben damals doch im Inneren das Gefühl gehabt, wir werden diesen Kampf um die Macht in Deutschland trotzdem gewinnen. Es mag schwer sein. Was für uns spricht, das ist die Vernunft. Das ist die Richtigkeit unserer Grundsätze. Das ist die Erkenntnis, dass der derzeitige Staat nicht mehr gehalten werden kann, dass es nur eine Frage der Zeit ist, wenn er so oder so bricht. Es ist weit aber auch die Empfindung der Notwendigkeit, eine Umwertung wieder Begriffe. 
Es war endlich aber auch ein fast möchte ich sagen mystischer Glaube in die Unsterblichkeit unseres Volkstums. Ein Volkstum, das aber bei, dem, bei der Beibehaltung des gegebenen Zustandes doch vernichtet worden wäre. So sind wir dann langsam gewachsen. Von den einen mit Gleichgültigkeit betrachtet, von den anderen mit Ingrim verfolgt, von vielen gehasst, einfach aus Bequemlichkeit, wie manche Bürger, die so von ihren Fenstern uns zublicken auf der Straße, hatten damals eine stille Wut in sich, weil sie sagten, immer diese Unruhe, wenn sie nur endlich eine Ruhe geben würden, es wird immer wieder, kommt es zu Schlägereien, nur weil sie keine Ruhe geben. Sie sollen doch einmal sich fügen, wir fügen uns ja doch auch. Man kann ja dabei im Inneren denken, wie man will, aber doch nach außen das nicht ununterbrochen aussprechen, sondern in sich behalten. Man kann auch dann noch ein würdiger Bürger sein. Wir protestieren auch, aber wir protestieren in uns, in der Stille und höchstens sonst mit dem Geist, aber immer dann mit der Gewalt gleich. Sie wissen, dass die anderen auch mit der Gewalt kommen. Also der Klügere soll nachgehen. Und wir sind damals nicht der Klügere gewesen. Ich bin da schon als Knabe nicht gewesen. Ich habe diesen Grundsatz immer abgelenkt, der Klügere zu sein und deshalb nachzugeben. Sondern ich habe es immer vorgezogen, nicht nachzugeben. Selbst habe ich Gefahren, dass die anderen dann sagen, er war nicht klug. So haben wir auch damals nicht nachgegeben. Und haben die Ruhe dieser Bürger immer wieder gestört. Haben uns nie gebeugt und immer wieder aufbegehrt und haben es so langsam fertiggebracht, uns die Straße zu erobern, uns die Plätze zu erobern, Ort um Ort in unseren Besitz zu bringen. Und dann begann das Herausdringen aus unserer engeren Heimat hier. Es war das ein Kampf, besonders aber auch gegen das Volk, das in unserem Land schon fast allmächtig zu sein schien. Der Kampf gegen das Judentum. Und was das bedeutete, das weiß der, der heute geboren wird, in der Zukunft überhaupt nicht mehr. Eine satanische Macht, die von unserem ganzen Volk Besitz ergriffen hatte. Die alle Schlüsselstellungen des geistigen, intellektuellen Lebens, aber auch des politischen und des wirtschaftlichen, in ihre Hand gebracht hatte. Und das, wo die Schlüsselstellungen aus, die ganze Nation überwachte. Eine Macht, die zugleich aber Einfluss besaß, denjenigen, wenn notwendig sogar mit dem Gesetz zu verfolgen, der es unternahm, sich dem Kampf gegen diese Macht anzuschließen und der bereit war, Widerstand dem Vordringen dieser Macht entgegenzusetzen. Das allmächtige Judentum hat uns damals den Krieg angesagt und Sie wissen auch, ich habe immer die Auffassung vertreten, dass es ein dümmeres Volk als das Jüdische nicht gibt. Allerdings auch kein gewissenloseres und kein skrupelloseres. Ich habe aber immer die Auffassung vertreten, dass die Stunde kommen wird, in der wir dieses Volk aus unseren Reihen entfernen werden. Das ist eine Auffassung, die mich auch heute noch beherrscht, nachdem wir in Deutschland gesiegt haben. Wir haben gegen alles was damals diesen Staat trug, was diesen Staat führte, den Kampf angesagt. Und waren nur einem einzigen ergeben, nämlich dem deutschen Volk. 
Wir haben nur ein Ziel gekannt, dem deutschen Volk zu nützen und ihm zu dienen. Und waren dafür bereit, auch alles auf uns zu nehmen. Und dann kam das Jahr 1923 und wir unternahmen den ersten Versuch, die Macht im Staat in unsere Hand zu bekommen. Der Versuch scheiterte und es sind damals nun die ersten Blutopfer gefallen. Ich habe gerade diesen scheinbaren Zusammenbruch des Jahres 1923 erst recht als der Beginn des Siegesmarsches angesehen. Ich war der Überzeugung, dass nachdem es doch nicht gelungen war, die Bewegung restlos auszurotten, sie sich wieder erheben würde. Und dass dann die Blutzeugen dieses 8. bzw. 9. Novembers mithelfen würden, die Bewegung erst recht vorwärts zu führen und ihr endlich den Sieg zu sichern. Und dann begann dieser staunenswerte Krieg und Kampf und einzige Siegeszug um Deutschland. Alle die Jahre 25 und 26 und 7 und 8 und 29 und 30, sie sind für viele andere vielleicht belanglos gewesen. So mancher Bürger lebte damals so in seinem Kleinkram dahin und wusste gar nicht, was um ihn vorging, dass sie eine der größten Revolutionen vorbereitete aller Zeiten. Das haben diese Bürger nicht gesehen. Wir Nationalsozialisten haben das alles erlebt nun. Wir haben damals gekämpft, Jahr für Jahr, Monat um Monat. Und wir konnten zu unserer stolzen Freude nur sehen, dass die Bewegung weiter wuchs und immer mehr um sich griff. Bis das endlich nach den Jahren 31, 32, das Jahr 33 kam, das uns den Sieg brachte. Vielleicht gab es damals manchen, und wir wissen das ja, meine lieben Parteigenossen, der nun sagte, Gott sei Dank, jetzt sind sie an der Macht, jetzt ist die Ruhe da. Es gab ja viele, die mir damals sagten, sie haben jetzt die Macht, jetzt werden sie ja doch überhaupt aufhören, weiter noch parteipolitisch zu kämpfen. Für diese Leute war der Nationalsozialismus immer nur noch eine Parteierscheinung. Sie haben nicht begriffen, dass allerdings der Kampf der Partei aufhörte, weil die Partei unter des Weltanschauung und Staat Deutsches Reich geworden war. Das war der Kampf, um das deutsche Volk erst recht fortgeführt werden würde. Solange sich der letzte Deutsche ganz in den Bandkreis You're listening to Resolution Radio, 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 ResolutionRDO.com. You produce your own music and want to market it successfully. Your solution, Fire.com. This is how digital music distribution works. Register, load up song, and earn money. Fire.com takes your music into over 300 download portals. For example, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or Beatport. Register now and take off with Fire's professional music distribution. Load up your music. Have we realized the assault against our lives, our liberties, our faith? To defeat this assault, Christians and all people of goodwill should have strategies to prevail in our faith and principles, which are simple. No need for a complex formula. One goal, one aim. A strategy like the heroic Christians of the past. We win, they lose. Nothing less. Big Q, Little Q. 
The Calm Before the Storm by a friend of Megagoria. The Strategy of Heaven Revealed. Big Q, Little Q. The Calm Before the Storm. Available on Amazon.com or by calling Caritas in the U.S. at 205-672-2000. 205-672-2000. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest price filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. We are the American Freedom Party. This is the most urgent time in the history of Western civilization. In the year 1900, white people of European descent comprised 35% of the world population. Today it is less than 9% and falling fast. Europe is being overrun with Middle Eastern immigrants, and America's founding stock is rapidly being replaced with third world peoples from around the globe. For the last 50 years, every influential institution in this nation, our schools and universities, our media, our churches and our employers have promoted policies and principles that teach whites to be ashamed of their great heritage and birthright. We, who in the 1950s, the 1960s, and 1970s were the world's dominant force, are now so afraid of being called racist that we were quailing towards irrelevance and extinction. Join the American Freedom Party today. Reach us at theamericanfreedomparty.us or call us at 701-317-5317. Paid for by the American Freedom Party. 